Welcome to the Basin Conspiracy. I'm Ian Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. I'm Jessica Dickey. And today, Steven's jumping us right into the rat chat. Yeah, I was talking about it before we actually started, so I, ins- I insisted that we just start the episode so I can plug these things. Excellent. So plug the things. Plug the things. They're actually both podcast episodes. Um, so I was just talking about uh, episode 150 of Very Bad Wizards. Paul Bloom insisted that we talk about sex robots, is the title. And the main thing that was really funny about it was they go through... I don't know, half a dozen of famous thought experiments, but they substitute everything out with porn or yeah. porn-related things. Um, <laughs> Wait, so is like, there like a porn trolley problem? Um, Please tell me there is one. There must have been. I can't remember which one that was. Okay, but I'm going to listen to it. We were joking about, because we had some pre-conversation or pre-episode conversation for the Patreon uh, subscribers. If you guys listened to Ward, this one was all about uh, the most recent episode of We've Got Ward's discussion question um, about... Kenzie's surveillance. And if you don't listen to Ward, you have no idea what that means. So <laughs> we were talking about that. And then that was sort of like our fluffer topic to get our brains engaged for the podcast. And then I said, yeah, but then who fluffs the fluffer? And that reminded me of the Very Bad Wizards thing. Oh, okay. And they have one about like, and it was like their last one. It's more of just kind of like a, a logic puzzle. Like, Oh, um, oh, oh, yeah. It was the, the all sets that contain themselves, right? Yeah. yeah. And the fluffer uh, fluffs all those that uh i can't I, it was some some twisting on that but it was it was funny yeah. but the one that i remember was like that epistemological puzzle of knowledge is a true justified belief mm-hmm. unless you find the weird edge cases where it's not so like the standard one would be your neighbor pulls into the garage or pulls into the driveway in a ferrari and you're like oh my neighbor owns a ferrari and it turns out that that's their like brother's Ferrari, but they have one on, in the garage that you didn't know about. So like, is your belief that they have a Ferrari true? Like kind of maybe, but like the thing that gave you your belief isn't the thing that you have a belief about. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the way to get back to that. But they twist it in that like, uh, all right, so Inyash, you're really into like incest porn. Oh, and right. so you're, you're watching, uh, oh, you, so you heard the episode. I did. I oh did. yeah, but you just so, go for it. So they they have um they're they're like putting words in each other's mouths and putting porn tastes in each other's browser histories. It's kind of funny, um, <laughs> but they're like, all right. So say you're really into incest porn, and uh, you know these these two girls are pretending to be sisters, and you're really into that, and but they're, but they're not. They just met that day on set. But then it turns out that they actually are sisters. They just didn't know about it. They're they're separated at birth. Did you get off to incest porn or not? <laughs> so they all they all come back to some some twist like that. It was pretty funny. So. I'm plugging that, and then it was the, I think, most recent or second most recent of Sam Harris's podcast with Rebecca Traster on the uh, Me Too movement, mm. and I thought it was really well done. She was awesome, and it was probably the, I haven't done a lot of digging into like the, the history and impact and motivations and all that of it, but I found it very informative and fun, so I thought it was a great kind of dive into everything that's going on there, and I'm sure there, there's good good conversation the other way but probably not in a podcast no i mean harris pushed back because i mean he's he's one of the the intellectual dark web self masturbating right. <laughs> people so his his whole thing is like yeah but you know what if it goes too far like when matt damon was like let's let's all kind of be reasonable here and he just got castigated over it and dragged through the mud and she was like all right so what actually happened to matt damon as we just talked about he was on snl last weekend he's fine you know what happened to him people were mean to him on the internet sam that's what happened like oh no and so it was, it was a really, and I, you know, yes, there are cases where, you know, someone's injured or something, not in, well, maybe, but the point is that like, she was really level-headed in responding to him trying to entertain some of the not so reasonable concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, yes. I mean, it's weird because there's different 
levels of power in society. I heard someone say once, I think it might have been from the last psychiatrist, that um, you can tell who actually has the power by who is scared. And in that interaction, it was Matt Damon that was scared, and he shut right the fuck up and apologized and then dropped off Twitter. So, I mean, saying that he's fine, yeah, okay, he is fine, obviously, and he has power in certain aspects, but... In that particular interaction, he was the one who was scared for his career and his reputation. And so in that case, he was not the powerful one. That's a really good point. So Matt Damon's specific example aside, I had fun with it. But I actually still had fun with it, even hearing, um, like, I I like what you just said. And actually, again, I do this a lot. I'm now moved back to your position. (laughs) Um, I think maybe someone would disagree with that definition of power. I hate the idea of like taking statistical averages of power and saying, therefore, you have power. Right, right. Um, people have different power in different contexts. But some people will do that, so I'm shutting that down right away because I think it's pointless to go up to some homeless white guy on the street and saying, you have more privilege than Barack Obama. Right. But if you're ever like in a uh, in a back alley shank fight, that guy's got some power that I probably don't got. Yeah. Unless you're the one shanking. I've never shanked anyone. He'd probably have an advantage on me. <laughs> <laughs> he probably also gives less fucks. That's probably true if he's <laughs> shanking people. Anyway, so those are my two my two rat chats. As long as we're plugging podcasts, I had a really good time with the Planet Money Halloween episode, where they told a spooky tale of haunting economics, and it was it was kind of fun. Oh, I like that. I have no recommendations, so <laughs> but thank you for the ones that you guys gave because I just ran out of podcasts to listen to, so I'm definitely going to check those out. I tend to just jump on whatever Steven's doing. Like when he was recommending a video game, I was like, oh, I know one to recommend. And now he's recommending podcasts. I'm like, oh, I had a fun one. So, Well, I need more podcasts too. So Planet Planet Money oh, sounds I'd like love, a lot of fun. I love Planet Money. They and, do such a good job with everything. And Last Psychiatrist is a blog, right? Yeah, but it uh, hasn't been updated in years. Yeah, you've plugged this before, and I've had I, I, I think I have this bookmarked somewhere, but I'm going to actually read stuff on here because it sounds interesting what was the one that you mentioned the that was the with the power thing right i have no idea like i said it's been years since he's updated and i don't know what post it was when it was i'm gonna just put power imbalance in google and leave it there all right cool it's always worth doing the five minute google yes well especially it's worth it to me to do it now because i'm definitely gonna forget in five minutes (laughs) so did you find that uh death note fan fanfic thing i forgot to keep looking but i have a tab open in on my phone to keep looking so fuck it i'll put that in here as long as i'm distracted for people who are listening there's a really cool like i don't know what the term is for a fanfic that's actually manga like fan manga oh um doujinshi possibly is that the term that's usually like an amateur yeah i don't know okay it, it is usually like a fan comic of something but uh yeah, okay I don't know. you, that, you uh, could just say that it's a fan comic yeah it takes takes continues the story after um after light has died and he wakes up in the afterlife and immediately starts munching his way into taking over the afterlife sounds dope yeah kind of like a uh, shishio in kenjin is that what he did <laughs> yeah there was there, there was a brief thing at the end of the, the kyoto arc where What's that, his devoted guy who threw the gun away during the fight because he trusted Shisha to win, and his girlfriend that he stabbed as a, whatever, visual obstructure to, to stab through her to hit Kenshin? Uh-huh. They, meet, they all meet up at the gates of hell, and Shisha's like, yeah, now we're going to take over this place. Shit. Wait, did that happen in the in, in the anime? Canon? I apparently didn't get that far. Yeah. I might have I seen it have half that. a dozen, ten times as a kid, so. Okay, cool. I got to go back and watch that. There's actually pretty uh, decent gaps in my, uh, in my Kenshin watching. There's just a number of episodes I missed. 
oh yeah that's cool then then that's gonna be a lot of fun to go back through i should probably just read the manga i've tried to rewatch the show and it's there's so much filler in it like every episode yes. drags on for so long that it's yeah, almost unwatchable yeah. it's, it's really weird how my attention has changed as i've grown because i've gone back and rewatched anime that i loved and it's just unwatchable now yeah they they really drag things out way more than they need to that's fair definitely a background show maybe and then tune in for the good episodes or just read the manga I tend to like the manga a lot better because you can read at your own pace. Yeah, and there, there's I like the artistic style in it a lot too. Yeah. The um, art tends to be better in manga too, and yeah. I really care about art. Um, what was I gonna say about Kenshin? Oh, skip the third arc, mm-hmm. uh, after the Kyoto arc. I mean, if you're gonna budget your time, I, I'm not just not gonna. I'm like the Kyoto arc is the only really good arc, right? That's true. Yeah. Yeah, I would just stop the Kyoto arc. Yeah. But I, I need someone to because there's a number of animes out there that just have you can skip all these episodes. And I need to find that list for Kenshin. Because I remember, like, there was some episode about a sumo wrestler or something. When I was done watching, I was like, why did they make this episode? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a handful. I could probably skim through the episode list and tell you which ones to skip. Or you could probably find a list online. Like, I'm I'm sure that there's websites that do that for you, right? Oh, I'm sure. It would just be fun for me to see if I could remember. (laughs) I enjoyed seeing the one for Dragon Ball Z where they're like, and then you can skip these next hundred episodes. I want so badly (laughs) to write a rationalist DBZ fanfic, but I can't be arsed. There's probably someone trying it. Someone mentioned it one time on uh, Reddit, but uh, I don't think anyone's actually written one yet unless uh, unless I haven't seen it yet. Okay. You should write it. All right. Didn't we have a topic or something? We did. Sorry. I didn't mean to... Yeah, though, should we do the... Uh, it's going to be one of those episodes. The sequences okay. first. Where we're all over. No, no, no. Let's do the productivity <clears throat> thing, and then we can do the sequences after that. That sounds good to me. So, Jess, what are we talking about today? <laughs> well... We're going to do the second half of the productivity tools. Huzzah! I actually don't remember where we left off the last time. Oh, I wasn't going to pick off where I left off. Oh, okay, <laughs> I'm cool. just going to talk about other stuff. stuff. Yeah. Cool. All right. Although, no, I did have... Um, There was feedback that I missed on the productivity tools one. It was uh, Will Lando on the subreddit who commented... Uh, first of all, he recommended Cal Newport's Deep Work. Uh, I haven't read that one yet. So thanks, Will, for that recommendation, and I will check that one out. I've heard that recommended by a few people, and I just uh, was reminded of it again. Uh, Will said, Long and uninterrupted periods of isolation and concentration are incredibly important. This was in response to Pomodoro's. Uh, The longer we've been continuously thinking about a task, the better we perform, as long as we still make an effort to recover from strenuous mental activity. The contemporary workplace, with too many emails, too many meetings instant messaging, open office environments, random interruptions from colleagues, and the sensation of being watched all the time obstructs productivity. So he strongly agrees with Inuyash and Steven that it takes too much time to recover from interruptions. Will says he'd advise against tools like timers that pull you out of your work every 20 minutes. I think we read this on the uh, the follow-up episode. I think you might be right. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I didn't have an answer for it. but My, um, I think if I had to repeat what I'm guessing I said last time, which is like, probably whatever works best for you especially if you're stuck on something and you spend 20 minutes poking at it and nothing happens then you get up grab a cup of water and come back because you've changed you know your environment enough to trigger a new thought i'm assuming there's different strokes for different folks here right different things work for different people under different circumstances yeah i'd be i'd be against a blanket recommendation pro or against something on any of this stuff probably yeah it kind of uh depends on the task too like, I have my anecdote as far as interruptions, uh, which was that I partially agree with what Will said, and I, I don't really use the Pomodoro method that often. I mentioned it because it's one of the most well-known, and a lot of people uh, find that it really works wonders for them. 
I sometimes use Promotero as like a mind hack to just get started. Uh, sometimes getting started is a really difficult um, hurdle that you have to overcome. So just setting the timer gives the illusion that I'm on the clock and it makes me feel like, okay, now I've got a 20 minute deadline to get started on this work. If I'm working on something that I like, uh, like I'm doing my own art or my own writing, I actually prefer not to take breaks if I'm in the flow. But if I'm doing something that's like boring and rote, uh, Promotero's help. I've used Promotero most successfully when I did work in an office. And I was doing, for example, uh, like managing social media, and I really like, it wasn't my favorite thing. So it's like, all right, I got to post all these, uh, you know, stupid <laughs> things with hashtags and them. hashtag motivation Monday, uh, you know, <laughs> set, set the tomato timer and try to just kind of space out while I do it. It's like, all right, just get it over with. I certainly see the, yeah, like we talked about, if you're in the zone, you don't want to be out of the zone, but um, breaking up like undesirable work, if you know you're only going to be doing it, you know, for 20 minutes. It makes it easier to dedicate. Like, all right, cool. I get a break in 20 minutes. Not like when I'm done or when I get too tired to go on. Maybe that's motivating to keep you going for the, you know, small increments. I find it good to just get you started because you're like, okay, I'm going to do this for 20 minutes. And that makes it a little bit more approachable. Yeah. Rather than saying I'm going to do this all morning or until I finish this big stack of crap. Right. I like that. uh, There was even a, they have studied Pomodoro's and showed that even, uh, you know, the five minute interruptions did actually help people to maintain their focus and they did better work over time. And it was in like a test taking or a school setting. So again, it probably like makes a difference which tasks you're using it for. But it might be that thing like where, you know, sleep deprived people tend to like self-report as being at 100% capacity when they're not. Ah. So it might be a good idea to try to, you know, take breaks anyway, just for that reason. That's interesting. I like that. Well, thank you, Will, for that feedback. We're, yeah. we're all sharing the same notes because we're badasses now. <laughs> <laughs> It's amazing technology. And I, we we all started this when you did your productivity uh, oh, really? episode, actually. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought we had never had outlines done this before. Previously. Nope. And Stephen jumped on that grenade. He was like, "Outline document <laughs> sharing with people." And I was like, "Holy shit! Now we got something to work with." Well, to be fair, it was like the productivity thing kind of encouraged me to get off my ass and start doing a couple things. I was like, "All right, I'm gonna like start looking for things that I can do to whatever make things better." And I I got this idea from uh, We've Got Ward. Because they share several pages of notes for all the episodes. And that's how they talk for two hours without dead air or whatever. Because they do it live, too. So, like, they're, oh, cool. they're not, you know, hanging out and doing all the crap that we do where we cut all the shit out. So, <laughs> um, like, do people that's really, really impressive. I didn't know that, actually. Yeah. I thought that they had uh, pre-recorded it. No, it's they, they do a live one. Or rather, they do it live. And then, I mean, they put out the episode, like, the next morning. So, there's minimal editing involved. Anyway, so they do that. I stole the notes from them, but I stole the, the motivation to steal the notes from them from you. Okay. Yeah. Whereas we have to go through and, you know, take out all the parts where we get sidetracked talking about fluffers fluffing the fluffer. Oh, that's that's <laughs> staying in there. Wasn't <laughs> <laughs> that a premium content? Yeah, that's right. People got to pay for that one. <laughs> okay. Oh, can I throw this in there before I forget? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys are Patreon subscribers, you'll notice that... Uh, you probably got two emails within the course of 12 hours um, Sunday night. Enosh and I take turns editing. And when he posts to Patreon, he checks the box that says charge patrons for this thing. Right. And I don't because I'm an idiot. I don't know what I was thinking. I guess I was thinking that they got charged anyway. And this was like an extra thing. I, I looked at it and I've ignored it every time. So uh-huh. we've, if you guys have noticed, you haven't been charged for roughly half of episodes for the last what, couple months. Yeah. So, five four months four five really? months okay yeah so um i went ahead and reposted that one and charged it and so i'm going to be doing that from now on okay um anyway you notice that and if you 
I don't know, keep track of the, the your Patreon numbers, you might see them return to what you thought you were paying going forward, because I will now check the box. All right, back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Yes. We were talking about how to be productive. Okay. Is this productivity like in our personal lives or our office lives? I guess they're It can be both. either. Yeah. Yeah, it tends to be like the same tools that you're going to use either way. And when we're talking about productivity tools, it seems mostly these are things like to fight a crazy or crazy. Yeah. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. About when you want to get things done, but you're having a hard time actually doing them. Yeah. Okay. Just one because, you know, there's a lot of productivity upgrades that are things like buy a computer instead of a typewriter. Yeah. I feel like I shouldn't mention things like that that are obvious, though. Like the, most people tend to struggle with acrasia. And there, there's things that you can do to fix, you know, uh, or, or not. Like if you don't have money, then you can't buy a computer and that sucks. But right. <laughs> we don't really like understand how acrasia works or how to fix it yet. Uh, CFAR and, you know, psychologists, people are working on it, but it's really complicated and it's really difficult. I think we should quickly define that. That's what I was going to say. As far as our vocab game, acrasia is basically knowing what you should do and not doing it because of basically lack of willpower. The old, the the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak kind of thing. Yeah. Or it can also mean like working against your own interests. Right. heard that too. Yeah. I mean, failing to keep to a diet or something, right? Or playing video games instead of doing your homework. I can relate to that. It's whenever there is a slight immediate reward, it somehow manages to overpower the really awesome future reward that is further away in time yeah hey if i look back at like i mentioned i probably saw kenshin i probably saw every episode at least six times Mm. uh, you know as a teenager and uh i probably saw the kyoto arc probably 10 times and so yeah wow was right so imagine like if i'd spent the time reading fucking books or something right so um or even if you had like been fingering a guitar as you were watching you know by now you'd have some muscle memory down yeah that'd be pretty cool Instead, I just watched it and hung out. So, <laughs> but um, did you hung out with other people? No. Oh, okay. Well, you hung out you, with Kenshin. You think people are going to watch reruns of Kenshin with <laughs> well, me? <laughs> you did learn. You learned fantasy Japanese history. That's right. Yeah. I sure did. Which was based on real history. Somewhat. Yeah, they got the names of some of the people right. <laughs> <laughs> some inspiration from real historical figures, but they changed a lot of details. Historically inspired is probably a good way to put it. <laughs> Although I, w- I would say, as far as like Enosh's question of like, are these like mental hacks or like physical hacks so like yeah get a computer instead of writing everything out with a pencil is probably too obvious but like maybe getting under the t- under the desk um electric bike or something is not obvious but it is a thing you could buy are these like tools to have like that cost money or things that you know what i mean like stuff you can carry around and have to drag to work or are they things that you can use uh as like mental tricks i think was kind of what you're getting at i was mainly just asking to differentiate this from things like you know increasing industrial productivity the, the reason that our standard of living keeps increasing being things like inventing tractors and the steam engine and computers productivity on a on a wide scale as opposed to personal productivity yeah, i'm talking about on an individual scale yeah. okay cool yeah last time i actually made three bullshit categories <laughs> just to try to kind of think more efficiently about what I was talking about. So I had a uh, brain hacks, which was, uh, for example, like the illusion of accountability when you're in a public workspace, if you're working at a Starbucks or in the less strong study hall. Um, there were actual tools, which were apps, things like Rescue Time that blocks websites, uh, Habitica, which gamifies productivity. And then there was uh, methods or philosophy of productivity, which were things like getting things done, uh, Pomodoro's, or the procrastination equation. You said you just read another book recently, right? Better, faster, stronger. Yeah. I hired smarter, faster, better. It's something like that. Did Did you talk about that in the last podcast? No, I I just read it. Did um, you tell me about that? Someone was talking to me about this book, and now I can't remember who it was. Hmm. Oh my god! 
It was Drake. We listened to it. On the, we listened to the audiobook of it on the way to Burning Man. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Wait, so, so you have actually read this book? Uh, about half of it. Okay. We didn't have time to get through the whole thing. But it's yeah, disappointing because the end of it they talk about um using like Bayesian updating. Oh. Like that's like the last chapter, I think. Okay, damn it. <laughs> the last segment. Cool. But um, no, no that I'd... was a really that was a really interesting book. Yeah, that's a good one, and they did actually talk about kind of more of the industrial productivity too. They had the uh, I don't even know if you got to that part. I thought it was really interesting where they were talking about um <clears throat> the the Japanese plant. Uh, yeah, yeah. I forget what it was called too. Um, the were the, the... On, on something cord. Yeah, the the biggest um the biggest productivity hack they had for the entire creating cars in a huge factory their big productivity hack was making people feel valued and so they cared about the product and that i mean that's all they did and it it seems like it would be something that would slow down production because this guy can stop the entire factory which apparently cost him like fifteen hundred dollars per second that the yeah stopping the assembly running. line yeah, yeah, yeah. not cranking out cars at the same rate yeah but if the guy's like no i see a problem i want that fixed because i don't want that car to go out in the world being a product of my labor you know i have some pride in my work and sure you lose some time when you're fixing these little things but the fact that everyone now had pride in their work meant that they put out better products faster overall uh than as opposed to before when people were literally getting high and drunk on the job and throwing things into like the parts of the car that you can't see to rattle around when people bought them because they're like fuck it i don't care you never what are you gonna do fire me and because they just did not give a shit simply making people give a shit had a huge impact and they did it just by listening to them it's and making them feel valuable not speaking from personal experience because my employer is amazing wink wink um yeah it's amazing how hard it is to keep staff motivated and wanting to do quality work when you don't recognize them at all and seem to completely not give a shit about them right but if your input is valued all of a sudden you care yeah and it yeah exactly and it's it's amazing it's a big turnaround because then suddenly you feel like you're proud to touch your name to stuff rather than like I'm just getting a paycheck. Yeah. So. Uh, Steven, does your workplace use agile development? Uh, yes, in quotes. Yeah, in the <laughs> same chapter in uh, Smarter, Faster, Better, which I hope I'm getting the name right, they actually yeah, they talked are. about how agile uses a similar system mm-hmm. where of giving people uh, ownership of or making them the expert to whatever's closest to them. Yeah, and they're th- to their to their credit, they do everything kind of by the book. They kind of do like the improper use of humility style thing where they're, they, they're doing agile, but in their defense, everything's all fucked up and confusing and, you know, whatever for them. But yeah, so like at the end of everything, at the end of every two weeks, at the end of every uh, 12 weeks, every big increment, um, there's big chances to give feedback to your managers, to your team, to your uh, managers, managers, if you want. I mean, the VP of development is there on the, you know, every 12 weeks when we're doing these big planning things and she'll, she's happy to hear whatever you've got. In fact, a confidence vote from everybody involved is, is required. So they try. And I think it's not really anyone's fault. It's just like everybody there feels like we're just going through the motions of doing agile, but you're right in real life or in, <laughs> in real places. It's definitely an awesome tool. It's like, as long as I'm pitching about work, which all right, I'll be, I'll be brief. When I was hired on a year and a half ago, they were, to- we were told all right, guys, we're building out this cool new floor at this building and it's going to be great. It's going to be, you know, this is a very developer-centered company and I've been there a year and a half and maybe in six months will we have that floor that they were talking about. So two years later, there's fruit flies in the office for like the last three weeks that no one's taken care of. Like... It's. And oh, I, mean, I hate it's, fruit flies. Yeah, I know they're super annoying. the The flies are like the only like thing that's actually annoying. I I'm not 
it's bizarre the amount of entitlement that I see in this industry from the people who work there. Yeah. Like for a while we had free cereal and like now it's gone and everyone's bitching about it and they <laughs> haven't stopped bitching for like three oh months. My God. We tried to get like cereal dispensers at our office because two guys were bitching about like, oh man, it would be so nice if we had cereal. You know, this other, this other company has a cereal bar. Oh boy, you know, it would really hit the spot right now. A cereal bar. They finally yeah. like, got one and oh I feel God. like we used it like a few times and then like the cereal went stale in it. And nobody wanted to replace the stale cereal, so it just went away after a while. I think ours was that it was too expensive. Like, we were, we were tearing <laughs> through that because stuff. Probably because you were... Oh, okay. But, um, I was going to say because you were, yeah, like... Oh, yeah. People, people were just eating it for two meals a day and whatever, right? So... Um, it seems pretty unhealthy, too. Definitely. I can, I can test that. carbs. I was, one of those, I was one of those people. It's not so much that. It's more just, like, as one coworker put it, like, soda machines are, like, indicative of, like, does the company give a shit about you? Hmm. and all right now i'm really bitching about it we can cut all this it's really boring works fine i've got a fine job like all right yeah i remember another chapter i think it was an earlier chapter before the uh the ford plant one he went into detail about what happened in the um the plane crash i don't remember which one it was now but a french plane crash right that was a really good uh well i just really liked all the anecdotes yeah uh that he picked out yeah that one was really intense and yeah that was really good and basically what he came down to was a really a person who knows what they're doing in any situation has a model of what they expect to see. Yeah, mental frameworks. Yeah, a mental model, like perhaps a map in their brain of what they think they're going to be seeing. And they notice when what they expect to see doesn't match up with what they're actually seeing. And that's what makes them really good. They know like how to maneuver in this terrain. They, they notice when things are different. And the people that fuck up are people who didn't really have a map. They're like... Okay, going through the motions, not really sure what's happening, but going through the motions, so things will be okay. And usually they are okay, but sometimes they're not, and that's when it's really good to have a model in your head of how things are supposed to be, and and checking that against the real world. And I was like, this is this is awesome. This book reads like it was written by you know a rationalist, or at least if everyone is looking at the world the same way, they should eventually get to the same kind of ideas, right? Yeah. I like when people dog whistle rationality. Yes, <laughs> like we're not we're not we're not going to drop the word less wrong, but we're going to use map and territory. Well, they, they, yeah, directly yeah. talk about like Bayesian updating in the last chapter, so I'm kind of wondering. <laughs> Love it. Sorry, we got sidetracked. I want to get back to to the topic at hand. Yeah, let's talk about productivity. It's funny that we keep getting derailed. <laughs> um, well, I think we are being productive in our derailments, though. They, we're talking a... about things like you know keeping yourself passionate and valued and keeping models of the world all good hacks for doing things which is what productivity is all about right yeah there is such a thing as productive uh procrastination as well yeah <laughs> i found that the best way to like the thing that helped me most with the uh when i was doing the harry potter methods of rationality podcast uh i would always have something else to do and i heard this tip somewhere else too always have something more important to do so you can procrastinate that thing by doing your second most important oh, yeah. thing which is still pretty damn important so whenever I didn't want to, I don't know, write or work out or do some kind of um, less fun work, I'd procrastinate by doing methods of rationality. And Smart. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if you don't want to write your novel, you procrastinate by writing a short story. Have, have a, a less important task that's still important that you can procrastinate into. Is that the productive procrastination technique that you were talking about? Or that you alluded to? Um, yeah, basically. It's, you know, when you're still getting things done, but it's because you're avoiding something else. Perfect. And, uh, yeah, that was a, a good hack. I guess that would be, like, one of the brain hack uh, category of productivity tools. You can either choose a real task or you can kind of, like, make one up. Like, uh, you know, oh, figure out my 401k, uh, which, you know, <laughs> well, and 
That's Whenever you look at it, you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. So you stick that at the top of your uh, to-do list and you stick the thing that you want to like actually do underneath of it. Every year between February and April, you can have, you know, uh, work on my taxes after I'm done working on this other thing that is important to do. Because, you know, you always have to do your taxes, right? So you can procrastinate on your taxes doing something <laughs> that's more important. I like the way you guys think. This sounds like <laughs> something I can actually weapon or actually utilize for myself. Yeah. You were right. about to say weaponize, weren't you? Yes. Fuck yeah. Um... But it's that I didn't feel like an appropriate use of it because I'm just going to use it to be more productively lazy. So you're weaponizing your laziness. All right, badass. It's, yeah, it's still like taking a step forward. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Anytime you can use a word to make yourself sound cooler, life's more fun. <laughs> well, okay. apropos that, what's the what's the what's the? Eh, I tried. <laughs> um, yeah. So last time I covered brain hacks, uh, some tools and methods and philosophy. Uh, this time I want to cover task capture systems, uh, task prioritization habit building, and then maybe talk a little bit about mental and physical health, which is pretty important to your productivity. Uh, Task capture systems are task lists, usually. It's what do you have to do. Uh, Most productivity systems, like uh, getting things done, start with making a task list. So there's a lot of different list-making tools that you can use, the most obvious one being old-fashioned pen and paper. There's one that I used uh, called Workflowy, which is a free web app, and they have a... um, I think they have an Android and an iOS app, too, that syncs with it. And it's basically just, like, a text document. But what's neat about it is that you can uh, nest, like, subtopics underneath of topics. So you can either hide or drop down sublists. So you could kind of make, like, uh, a bunch of projects by just making, like, okay, here's, like, uh, write a book. And then, like, you can make more subtasks under that. Like, uh, you know, outline all the chapters and uh, do research. Yeah, in, in my experience... Just having a list of chapters that that becomes your task list, and it is so fucking handy. And I mean, the the chapters that you're gonna write change as you're going along, but having that task list at the beginning is much much better than like, okay, write 400 pages in a coherent novel story <laughs> character arc. Go. Yeah, breaking this it way, down. Like, okay, I got 40 tasks. Each one is one chapter. I can write one chapter. One. I just interject really quick. Sorry, we we talked about agile development and agile, I guess, uh, production methodology. Mm. Um, lean is related to that. I think I talked about that in a previous episode. Mm, I think but so. But part of that is batching things into small, as small, small manageable chunks. And so, yeah, imagine, you know, this doesn't really work with books, but you know, you make eight hundred pages, and it turns out you made a mistake on the first one, so you have to start over. Ooh. Whereas if you did thirty page chunks, then like, oh, I only lost thirty pages. Right. And so that's that philosophy is built into agile too. And so that's why you do two week sprints and you do iterative feedback every two weeks. So at worst, you've wasted only that much time because you demo in front of your stakeholders every two weeks. Oh, so yeah. if they're like, no, wait, we wanted it like this. You don't like finish the six month project or the year project and deliver that. And they're like, no, wait, start over. Mm-hmm. You get that on a two week basis. So small, small. And that's, that's one example of batching things into a small way. And it also makes things less imposing and scary, right? Right. Because you're only committing to doing 30 pages this week or something, right? So, yeah. Dope. All right. Yeah, so that's why lists are important. Uh, one more thing that I like about Workflowy is that you can also drag. Like, unlike, you know, just using a text document or writing on pen and paper, you can drag and reorder your tasks, which is... It's uh, still, like, just a really simple uh, pared-down tool, which is kind of why I like it. The other um, list-making tools, there's some that tend to be more complicated, and... That can be great for people that really like to mess with all the widgets and they want to color code each one of their tasks and like assign it an icon. Uh, I'm thinking of Todoist right now. <laughs> I'll talk more about that one. But uh, 
that can get to be really distracting too. If you end up spending all your time just like working on your productivity system and not doing the work, obviously that's an issue. Yeah. Uh, other list making tools that a lot of people really like Evernote. It didn't really work for me, but uh, so a lot of people swear by that one. I think just because it helps you, like a lot of people, they use getting things done, the GTD method, like that one, because you can pull from, you can use like photos, you can, you know, save snippets of websites, it's multimedia. So it's really good at capturing everything. Uh, I like Google Keep, which I mentioned last time, so I won't go on about it again. Um, I also just like to use uh, TextEdit on Mac or uh, WordPad on PC, like just, you know, the basic pared down text editor that I can kind of keep floating on my desktop. It just keeps things simpler, less distracting. For my my version of, I, I use Notes too on my on my computer because I use a Mac. But I can also just open up Reminders the same way, and it syncs mm-hmm. to my phone. So if I want to jump in, and be like, oh shit, I want to do this when I get home. I don't have to pull out my phone if it's in my pocket. That's way too far away because my hands are already <laughs> on my keyboard. Um, yeah. uh, you mentioned uh, the GTD get things done method. Did we talk about that or what is that? That yeah, was we yeah, we talked about that one last time. Uh, to like catch people up if they didn't get that or if they forget uh, getting things done as a productivity system or philosophy that involves uh, capturing all of your tasks, uh, sorting them, uh, deciding, you know, uh, there were, for example, if there's like a five minute task, you do it now, and then you decide whether you're going to like do it, um, do it, don't do it, delegate it, delete it. That's or, right. Okay, cool. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah. And it's more complicated than that, but that one's neat because you can scale it up and down to be as complicated as you need it to be. It has like reviews and stuff too. Excellent. Um, I said excellent and steepled my fingers like Mr. Burns. <laughs> you need a cat, right? I would like a cat. That sounds great. Mr. Burns didn't have a cat, cat though. He didn't? I thought he had a cat. No, he had a Mr. Smithers. Uh, yeah. Well, it's kind of the same thing. Smithers is basically his cat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then there's that one. It was like a Halloween special. And I haven't seen the show in 15 years, but I remember this. They, like Smithers is a snake. Okay. And his name is Slithers. <laughs> <laughs> I think I remember that. <laughs> Just a funny little thing. It was Dr. Evil that had the cat. Right. And Dr. No and every other cool yeah, bad guy. Yeah, I think guy. it was just like, yeah, it became like a bad guy stereotype. Which is weird because cats are great, so. They're also evil. They That's are also just evil. not true. You met my last cat. She was the best. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. You know you can't say anything bad because she died. <laughs> I, think you, they, I think cats that aren't evil may be catting wrong. I've met a few non-evil cats and I'm like, you're, you're not doing cat right. Ah, uh, they they're just they're just doing their people thing. People tend to call them dog like cats. Although dogs are also prone to just want to like really enjoying killing things. Who doesn't enjoy killing things, really? I don't. Okay. <laughs> Inches away from Inyash. <laughs> <laughs> so once you've got your list, then you want to kind of brainstorm the steps of your project or your list, which you can use with uh, you know a pen or paper. Always works. Uh, there's digital equivalents of brainstorming tools. So this is for, you know, if you don't have off the top of your head, oh, these are the items that I need to add to my list. Or, you know, if you've written something down that's a project and it's multi-step. I I used to have the issue where you would put something that, like, is too complicated on a task list and then you just stare at it and you end up not doing it because you're like, okay, I have to do this thing. I found that brainstorming things that you have to do is incredibly handy when you're doing renovations because sometimes you will find things, remember things that you have to do in a certain order which you might have forgotten if you're just going through doing, you know, what you see and also saves you a lot of time driving to the hardware store when you <laughs> see everything that you need at once. I'm sure you went to the hardware store plenty of times oh, regardless. I did. Yes. <laughs> There's always something that I forgot, but going through first and like brainstorming everything and being like, "Okay, got to do this and this." And then I was like, "Oh, measure first, then cut." <laughs> <laughs> 
And stick that on your task list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, ways to brainstorm. Uh, I like to just freeform journal sometimes because that's how my brain works. You just do a total brain dump and then you can kind of refine that into a list afterwards. Just writing down a list of tasks in no particular order can help and then editing that because sometimes you get really caught up in thinking, okay, what do I have to do first? Then what do I have to do second? And sometimes it really helps to kind of just, uh, you end up jarring like your your memory into thinking of other tasks as you're coming up with, for example, feed the dog, uh, sweep the floor. For complicated tasks, it can help to make a mind map. And that also helps when you're stuck mid-project, like if you're in the middle of your renovations and you're not sure what to do next. What is a mind map? That's where you uh, kind of create bubbles. So you could do a bubble that's, uh, you know, the very middle of your page is renovate home. And then you kind of draw a little line off of it and it's like okay uh carpet the stairs and then you draw a little arrow off of that and it's like research carpet companies and prices Mm. and uh what's neat about mind maps rather than journaling is that it kind of it kind of simplifies a bunch of the tasks where when you're journaling you're writing maybe whole paragraphs about like oh i don't know which companies to choose there's this one then i know that my you know dad's friend worked for this one but they might have higher prices it kind of forces you to be brief because you're sticking everything in little bubbles. And or, it also um, is a linear. So if you did it like freeform paragraph style, you're going to have to go back and read that and extract the meaningful chunks later when it's time to do the thing. Yeah, you but, can look at a mind map and kind of exactly, yeah. parse it more easily. Yeah, and you can see how things connect together in a way that you can't like do as easily with journaling. Is that the same thing as a word cloud or is that different? Um, I think it's similar. They look the same. I think but... there's different kinds of mind maps, too. I just always tend to do the bubble one. I like it. There's different structures you can make. Um, Scapple is uh, one that I would recommend if you want to use a digital mind mapping tool. I think um, it, the same company that makes Scrivener, which you might be familiar with, Aniash, it's mm-hmm. a, a writing tool, makes that one. And it's good for writers, but it's just a good mind map tool in general. Um, I really prefer just using paper for mind maps. Because digital tools aren't as amenable to freeform. I tried a bunch of them, and I found that uh, the process of trying to digitally create a word cloud kind of defeated the purpose of it being like quick and kind of intuitive. Yeah. But I haven't actually tried Scapple myself. I've just heard it recommended really highly. So I do want to look into that. As, and if anyone else uses it, maybe you can talk about your experiences with it. Yeah, and you might also just try using paper uh, when you get stuck, because apparently writing on paper might help your memory. I found a couple of uh, studies that I'm going to link to the post about how handwriting facilitates memory better than typing. I would imagine maybe with, you know, <laughs> that's the difference maybe between the uh, digital mind mapping tools and the paper ones. I saw that too, and I'm not sure why that is the case. Does anyone know yet? They actually talked about it in Smarter, Better, Faster. Um, I think it was that book where they were talking about um, adding... It's a word similar to discontinuity, and now I can't think of the word. It was dis something, <laughs> but they were talking about basically making a task more difficult. Okay. Um, actually helps encode it in your brain better because you're devoting more of your attention to it. Right. As you're struggling with it, you're spending a longer time on it. So, um, writing by hand is more difficult. It involves more. I guess it's more. I don't know. Um. It certainly takes more time and more muscle groups than yeah. typing. I'm not actually sure about that. <laughs> Steven's making typing motions. Yeah, but like a, like a little T-Rex. I don't know why you're yeah T-Rex typing. That is a very inefficient way to type. That's my miming. That's how I always mime typing. Oh, okay. I realized I hadn't said anything in a while, so I just made a soundless gesture, and now we're talking about it. So Excellent. here we go. I do remember always taking notes by hand in college. I could have typed. Well, no, I couldn't have. I didn't have a laptop. I always found taking notes super distracting, because 
if I, I have pretty legible handwriting mm-hmm. and if I'm speed writing to keep up with what they're saying, mm-hmm. then I have a hard time reading it myself. Uh, and I also what... find myself focusing more on like writing shit down than just listening. And I have fairly good retention of like what I hear, luckily. So I found that to be not to my benefit for the most for most classes. I found it really focused me. Like I would pay much more attention and my mind wouldn't wander, wander if I was writing as I was listening. And also I don't understand... Um, why exactly it helped but i found like if i just listened then i wouldn't retain things that well but if i was writing them down i very very rarely like almost never went back and actually read my notes but just the fact that the, the yeah, it writing it, it down yeah made a big difference that's super common for people it helps commit it to memory two different ways you're hearing it and rehearsing it immediately to get it on the page yeah um that just didn't work for me a lot of the time but maybe i remember more if i actually if i had written stuff down so well everyone's brains are different too so that just might be one of those typing works better for steven because that's how your brain works oh just yeah just listening worked better for steven i i because mm-hmm. i also Did need you try to... recording lectures i have i for the most part i could like hear it once and do fine i guess i also had an easy major psych major so in the one like really trivia heavy class that we had to take because it was a science major we had to take biomedical science 300 and that was like kind of referred to as like the senior fail class. I think it had like a 25% fail rate or something. Ouch. And it sucks because it was a senior level class. Mm-hmm. And so you had to basically wait to see if you're going to graduate on schedule or not. That's so that one, I took designed. tons of notes. I, went, I like I helped coordinate with people to do like study groups and flashcards. I did all the tricks for that one because it was just a bunch of bullshit. Like which enzyme is involved with, you know, uh, leg muscles, but not pulmonary muscles. And I'm like, mm-hmm. come on, man. Like. First of all, even if I was going to be a doctor, knowing that off the top of my head doesn't help me be a better doctor. So it was, it was just a trivia class. Um, that said, I did, speaking, all right, now I'm distracted again, but um, he, he would do the lectures in person, but he also recorded them and put them online for the class. And so I wouldn't go to class. I'd watch them on my computer, which probably was detrimental <laughs> to my learning. But th- these were the kind of, he was a, such a great lecturer. They were the kind of lectures that I would watch for fun on other subjects. Like he was... <laughs> He was passionate. He'd move around the board. He was really good at illustrating on the whiteboard with, or on, oh, yeah, the whiteboard with black like sharpies, that. and um, yeah, it was that was outstanding. So he was a great lecturer, and what he said was really engaging, and that's why I think I had them saved for a while. I hope I still have them somewhere because it'd be fun to go back. It'd be fun to watch and get the content of again without having to sit there and like try and hear out like key f- phrases that you're like, is this gonna be on the test? Does my life depend on knowing you know the name of this bullshit? Um, <laughs> Because that takes a lot of the fun out of it. But if you're just there to enjoy it, then I found that to be a, a fun way to take that in. So I got us off topic. That's okay. Success. Okay. I'll just shut up for a minute. <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're good. <laughs> I hear you. Oh, but then I'll be sad. I know. It's more fun to like keep talking about things. We'll power on. It's important to, to, to stay entertained because if we're just here to get facts, then we get bored and it turns into school, right? Just like Biomedical Science 300. Exactly. Yeah. We're here to bullshit and have fun too. The entertainment value is very important. Fair, that's that's totally true. All right. Okay. Uh, the other task list apps I'll go through quickly. Um, bullet journaling is something I just started doing recently. So look that up. It's pretty cool. Um, it's a task list system where you just keep a freeform notebook, kind of like, you know, just doing the freeform journaling with whatever pens and markers you want. And you see lots of people using pretty highlighters and whatnot. Uh, the only things that you do are you add page numbers and an index and maybe also like a calendar and a planner. So you make an index so you can just find all your notes all the time. Hmm. Um, I like this because task lists tend to evolve over time. And starting from scratch, I find to be mentally refreshing when I'm stuck on tasks. I like that, again, it's it uses actual writing by hand. Uh, you can have your notebook with you whenever. 
and you can write anywhere on the page and doodle and draw mind maps and scratch things out, which uh, I find really useful. Speaking of which, I bought that uh, little metal-bound notebook that you can take everywhere with you that has the pen oh, cool. to keep it. Yeah, that you recommended last episode. It's very handy. Thank you. I'm, I'm a hipster and I make my own notebooks. Okay. <laughs> it's, I recently, well, I guess it was months ago at this point, but I took a bookbinding class. There's something really cool about making your own notebooks, and I find that it also makes me more likely to write in them. Because I've always, like, as an artist, too, I have this weird thing about, well, I can't draw in my good sketchbook, because what if it's a bad sketch? Oh. So I got a lot of my art done on, like, shitty sketchbooks or the back of printer paper, <laughs> because I always had a much easier time starting if it was like, well, I'm not going to waste this paper. So I feel the same. Oh, I made this notebook, so it's not like I'm ruining a good notebook that I bought from a store. It's a weird, stupid, like, oh, brand weird. thing. <laughs> I would have been the other way around. <laughs> yeah, you would think. Because, like, the store it, one, it makes whatever, no logical three sense. bucks. Yeah, but I poured time into this one. That's what I was going to think, too. But, yeah, you know, that's... Depends on how much you value your own products. Or it's like, I made this, I can do whatever what I want with it. But if yeah, you go out and buy it, then it's like, now I feel like I need to just use this for its intended purpose. Right. Whatever your, your algorithm is there. <laughs> it's one of the reasons I never get tattoos. Yeah, exactly. I will get them when you can move them around or delete them. But I know I'll get sick of them. I'm just worried about having a limited amount of skin space. That too. I also know I'll get addicted to them. Mm, I that, don't know if I would. That's one concern I have too. I, I'm told that when you get one, you get an itch to get more. Mm. I don't have any, but my... My thinking on it is like, yeah, you might change your mind on what you like or something, but so if I were to get one, I have ideas of things that I'm very confident that in 30 years I could look back and say, I understand why Steven at that age got that tattoo and I, I don't regret it. I want to get like Mickey Mouse flipping someone off just so that... <laughs> you would probably end up regretting that one. Well, maybe because, not, maybe not. Maybe it's really important to you. you know, I, th- I would like that because I fucking hate um, the intellectual property laws we have in the country. And I would be this would be a giant fuck you to Disney, right? You don't own my skin, Disney. Which technically they might, based on the uh, recent Kobe Bryant fucking lawsuit that went around. What happened? Uh, the tattoo artist that tattooed Kobe Bryant is suing 2K Games for rendering his tattoos in their game when... yeah. Huh. yeah. Kobe Bryant, you know, licensed his likeness to 2K Games for their recent NBA or whatever the name of the company is. That I didn't does realize you still NBA own 2K. the tattoo after you place it on someone's skin. That's weird. That See, that's that's what they're trying to hammer out in the courts right now. Is it... I mean, I guess it is your original art if you designed it, but that's like, super weird because it's on somebody's body. Yeah. No, that's, that's the thing. Like, I obviously understand that if I got a tattoo of something, I can't then take that art and, like, make prints of it and sell it at conventions and stuff, right? That's way beyond what about every time you get photographed exactly but when i get photographed or when my likeness is reproduced somewhere if i'm you know okay to that then yeah that's part of me now that is literally my fucking skin yeah that sounds like a really screwed up precedent and i get like having your artistic integrity or whatever but then like all right so say kobe bryant puts on a maga hat and murders three people like are you gonna say i want my artwork back i'm not gonna represent it on that person and then what like are you gonna make him You're like, like hanging on get, your wall get cover-ups oh yeah or take his skin like but well, if you can't take his skin are you going to like legally mandate that he get cover-up tattoos or something yeah well i mean i i have several illustrator friends now who are a bit conflicted on this because the rights to their work are very important to them and they're like, you know, there is very standard contracts that you sign over all your rights. You know, like, this is now your art. Congratulations. And you people usually pay more for those contracts. And basically what my position is, is that even though it was never written out in any tattoo contract I've seen, generally the contracts are things like, I am over 18 and I am not drunk. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I am of sound mind when I choose this contract or when I choose this tattoo to be put on me. But none of them, like, talk about rights in that way. And it was, I always 
fall back to the common law understanding that like it was understood that I give you this money and this is now mine. And uh, but since it was never actually spelled out, I guess that's something the courts might get into now. That's insane. Yeah. Luckily, I'd, I'd, I would think I'd, if something was literally part of my body, that bodily autonomy rights trump copyright rights. Like I said, I see, I, I see, I, I hear what you're saying. I kind of see where they're coming from, but at the same time, fuck uh, them. Well, and which is why I want the Mickey Mouse tattoo. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that the like tattoo art lobby is pretty small, so this probably won't go through all the way, but. Uh, if they win this case, it might set a dangerous precedent. So it was actually interesting. It was kind of the the. Then again, I bet the guy who who makes who does Kobe's tattoos is probably fucking loaded. Well, so. here's the thing: it this is the same uh, the equivalent of the copyright uh, or the patent trolls that we all hate. Uh, it was a company that went around and bought the rights to the tattoos from various tattoo artists of NBA players. Oh, so it wasn't even the tattoo. No, it oh is a God. yeah, it is a company that bought the rights to the tattoo art from the artists and now is suing the the game makers. Of course, Fuck it is. Yeah. So like, this is a really great fiction opportunity for someone to write a version of the repo man <laughs> but like, they just come for your skin yeah. <laughs> come for my tattoo back <laughs> i'm not gonna write Sorry, that but if, any, if anyone wants to rights. write it just like send me a link to it after you've written it um Back to, you know, yes, productivity. Sorry. So, yeah, task lists. Um, I talked about Todoist before briefly. I'll just plug that one again. That's a task list app for people that love apps that have lots of features. That is one where you can actually assign a different icon to each of your tasks and yeah. color code it. And uh, it's neat. You can sync your tasks with your Google Calendar. Uh, you can assign tasks to yourself on different days, which is kind of cool. And what's really cool is they have an AI task scheduler that um, works all right. It kind of uh, is supposed to watch when you do tasks and then kind of start to estimate after a while. Well, you seem to do more tasks on Mondays, so I'll assign you, uh, you dump your task list into it. And it's like, well, I'll assign five of these tasks for Monday and then three for Tuesday. And then you never get things done on Wednesday, so I'm just going to leave that day blank. Um, it's all right. How does it know you never? Oh, because you never check your task is done on Wednesdays. Yeah. Okay. Wednesday's my masturbation day. <laughs> I never got tasks done on Wednesday. I don't know why. Wednesday's not a good day for me. Oh, so you were speaking from experience. Yeah. <laughs> no. oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, and I also got most tasks done on Monday, which kind of, I guess that kind of makes sense because that's like the middle of the week. You got all your, you know, momentum on Monday and then you start to lose it and then you realize you're losing it and you go, oh shit, and then you get a lot done on Thursday. Hmm. Or maybe that's just me. Or you're putting off work on Monday morning and you're doing all your tasks yeah, instead. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. So there's task lists with built-in accountability like BeMinder and Stick. Those are ones where it'll um, charge you money, which you consent to. If you don't get your tasks done on time, so then you, you know, if if sticks work for you better than carrots, there's no task list with built-in uh, reward systems that might be neat. At least not that I know of. You know, it'd be cool if, like, BeMinder or Stick evolved to they use some of the money that you give them instead of giving it. So Stick, I've mentioned before, that's where you say, hey, Inyash, I'm going to quit smoking and you're going to be my judge. And if I don't quit smoking in three months... The 50 bucks that I gave to stick, they're going to give to the KKK. So you get to pick where it goes as like your carrot or as your as your stick. And so we want to really push stick among people with the opposite ideology from us. Right. Well, what would be fun is instead of giving it to like whatever bad charity that you used to incentivize yourself, they keep some of it and mm -hmm. then they can use that to pay people who actually keep to their stuff. That would be neat. But then the thing is like you're my independent judge, but we each stand to make, you know, 40 bucks if I quit smoking in quotes. So that sounds easily gameable. Eh, should... Not really, because if you guys talk that out ahead of time, you also could have just, I mean, you're just taking each other's money. It, it... No, no, we're taking sticks money from other people in the, in the shitty business model I just put together and then shot down i was saying that say if i gave 50 bucks 
um, Stick would give 40 of it to the charity, the anti-charity of my choice, and keep 10 for themselves. Mm. They'd put that 10 in a pool that they give to people who actually commit to actually do their things. So they would get um, Why does that... their, their, oh, their so 50 back the plus pool, 10 or something, right? So, mm. yeah, then then the idea would be like Enosh and I would split the difference. So that, that, that way of doing it sucks. Why would what, what do you mean we would split the difference? If you were my account, if you were my accountability person, oh, so I would you, lie you, and you, say you, that you exactly, could? yeah. Oh, if you, if you okay, cared more okay, about the gotcha, money, then yeah. or I would invent a third person who was going to be my independent arbiter or something, right? Right. That said, there seems like a meat space option here where, like, Yinyash, I'm going to quit smoking, or in three months you slap me across the face as hard as you can. <laughs> I, but say I wouldn't slap you. That is you. how um, so the, need, the person so, who invented Pavlock, that was like the wristband that shocks you. Yes. Apparently, he got the idea because he hired someone to slap him if they saw him go on Facebook. No, and this seems a lot cheaper. They're just like you know what you're not, <laughs> I'm gonna, you're not, you're not gonna follow me to the bathroom when I'm Facebooking on my phone. So I'm gonna have my wrist shock me instead. I think that's hilarious. I like that. I don't know if I'd learn from that, but it'd be funny. <laughs> it's yeah. Why not? The humor aspect is a big important thing for me. So yeah, me too. Um, last thing I'm gonna say about task list is it's helpful if you can memorize your task list. I like to do this, but I also like to keep my task lists like ten items or under. So uh, you can use a mnemonic device, like the one-bun method or the memory palace. I know what a memory palace is. What's a one-bun? Yeah, I could define quick of them. It's, it's, there's a list where you say one is a bun, two is a shoe, three is a tree, and then you take each of your tasks or whatever you're trying to remember your grocery items and associate it with that. So uh, one is a bun. You imagine, you know, something that has to do with a hamburger. <laughs> like, I was thinking of a, of a bunny. But either bunny, way, sure, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, you just come up with some, like, you know, the, the more ridiculous, the better image in your mind. Okay, cool. So that's a good mnemonic for memorizing lists. Dope. With Memory Palace, you can memorize more items. For people that don't know, that's where you use a place that you go frequently. You use your house, um, your grandmother's house, school, and you kind of associate each item that you're trying to remember with a physical uh, location. For example, like, okay, this thing is hanging on the door handle that I need to remember. This other thing is on the doormat when I walk through the door. I read a book when I was a teenager, and that was based on like the method of loci or loci, L-O-C-I. It was that Greek. Uh-huh. I don't know that, how to pronounce that either. Yeah, it was that story about that person who was at some fancy dinner, I'm paraphrasing, and the roof collapsed and killed everybody but him. And he remembered all 20 guests by picturing where they sat. And I'm, I'm good at that, and I liked that kind of special visualization. And so when I was reading this book, it gave the example of go through your house and put stuff around. I remember half the shit from that list, and this was 15 years ago. <laughs> nice. Oh, damn. So, I guess I don't remember how long the list was. I remember a handful of things from a parent's living room where I put a deck of cards and, like, a big diamond and other things around the room. So hmm. um, oh, so that's, like, a way to enhance your memory palace, make it more memory Yeah. E. Cool. So, um, yeah, I like to memorize my task list uh, so I can kind of just recite my task list throughout the day, which helps keep me more focused. And uh, if you're scatterbrained like me, it'll help you remember the things you said you're going to do. So you're not constantly running back to your task list and checking it. Hmm. So the last one was task capture systems. Yes. And so you had basically what you have to do, list making tools, brainstorming a project or list, bullet journaling, task list, task list apps, um, task list with built-in accountability, and task list memorization. Yes. All right. I think, yeah, we might spend less time in the next couple i will try to speed through them no i don't want to rush but uh we weren't out of time we are all right (laughs) prioritization you want to figure out if your task list items are is this something that should be one item on my task list like obviously uh walk the dog check the mail call your mom you can just use a task list for a more complicated project like sell your house uh, you need to split the tasks into lots of subtasks 
you can use uh, the Getting Things Done, the GTD system has something called the Project Planning Guide that they use for multi-step tasks. And they use a philosophy called Natural Planning, which I like because it's easy. You make a project planning guide for every major task, and then the project planning guide or the PPG structure is you start by first defining what, why, and how. Why is connect the task to your values. What is define your ideal vision. How is brainstorming, so you could do your mind map. And then you would do your next actions. So you do that with the entire task list or like with one task at a time? No, for one project. Okay. That's how you create a project list. Um, And you kind of prioritize the tasks by, first of all, connecting it to your values. You do some freeform brainstorming and then you just decide what is the next action. Like what's the first step that I need to get this project started? Or if it's already underway, okay, what's the next step I need? I really like the whole connecting it to your values thing, giving you motivation to do it. Yeah. This, This sounds a lot like how you break down like customer asks to your software company into if you're doing agile methodology into like user stories like as a user i want a submit payment button so i can make payments you break down if it's a big feature you know like i want to be able to pay my bill online or something then you you break it out into small little things break those out into small things like the why connects to your values is more connect that's why it's like a user story like as a person who's using this i want to be able to do this thing and uh Man, if it wasn't so boring and academic, the history of Agile and Lean is actually really cool. Yeah, um, I was actually thinking, it, it's like, oh, we should do an episode. And but it, it ties I into get, this a like, lot. An expert. Well, and, yeah, it would be nice to have an expert too. I know um, an expert, but I don't know if he would want to go on the podcast. I could ask. I know a bit. I, I know enough to bullshit about it for an hour, but not. Well, I know a guy who was a like Scrum master and taught Agile. Nice. But uh, yeah, again, I don't know if he would want to be on the podcast. I was a Scrum master for four months, but only like I said in, in Agile in quotes way. So <laughs> right. Um, yeah. All right. So natural planning says use your gut to figure out how to prioritize your tasks. And after you've, you know, connected it to your values and done your mind map, you can sometimes just go completely off of intuition. Uh, when For times when you can't, you can use the Eisenhower matrix, which is, I might have talked about that in the last uh, productivity tools, but I'll go over it again. It's a two by two grid where the x-axis is uh, important and not important. And the y-axis is urgent and not urgent. So the idea is you assign all of your tasks in this grid, and then you do the urgent and important tasks first, because they are urgent and important. Then you do your not urgent and important tasks, which seems counterintuitive until you think about the fact that these are important, even though there's not a time limit on them. You've done all the ones that are important that have a time limit. Uh, Then it's recommended that you uh, delegate or decline the urgent and not important tasks, and just delete the not urgent and not important tasks. So I like to just drop all my tasks from a mind map into the Eisenhower and shuffle it until it makes sense and then make out one numbered prioritized list afterwards. But now they're all in order. Yeah, you just want to work smart. You want to do the tasks that make sense and uh, figure out if there are other ways to accomplish what you want to. So you can, for example, delegate tasks. I I forget if I brought this up too, but there's a tool by Clearer Thinking called the Decision Advisor that can help with this too. If you're blocked by a decision, uh, that's a really great tool that helps you think through uh, all the pros and cons in a really like statistical way. Um, I've had a lot of luck with that one, so I really like all their tools. Go check out uh, Clearer Thinking. There's another decision-making uh, tool slash method called the SWOT method, the strength, weakness, opportunity, and threat uh, kind of two-by-two two board. Oh, yeah. I think and I've heard of that one, too. That was because it was one, it was a hilarious episode of Silicon Valley. <laughs> did, anyone, did anyone watch that show? 
I no. saw oh. only a few episodes. It was too real when I was working in an office. That's fair. <laughs> uh, it's it takes too long to paraphrase, but basically they're they're misusing it on deciding whether or not to let some asshole kill himself on it. Like so, <laughs> it, let me let me make it less less psychopathic. So no, no, that sounds fun. Well, not not commit suicide. He was going to do like a jump off a ramp onto a building onto another building, mm-hmm. and they're trying to point out how bad. Like, hey, you're not accounting for this. And both times they try to tell him, he's like, listen. You know, you fucking nerds. I'm busy. Get the fuck out of here. So they put together this enormous swap board. And they're like, one of the strengths is, or like one of the uh, opportunities is like his girlfriend's really hot. And when she's morning, <laughs> I, I can, you know, I can move in on her. Yeah. Um, Whatever, whatever, all those things. So uh, it culminates with the guy walking in, talking to them, apologizing for being an asshole, saying, man, I noticed this mistake on my map. I could have ended up on the side of that wall. And then as he's leaving, he glances at their enormous swap board and he's like, you know, he sees all the things, and it was really funny. So cool. everyone should watch Silicon Valley. So is this a tool you could actually use, or was it just a joke? No, it was an actual thing. It's, okay. It's, yeah. Uh, a, a lot of the stuff that they mentioned in there is actual stuff uh, that they use for the show for comedic purposes. But A lot of um, it is really funny if you take a step back. Yeah. All right. Next subject was habit building. I've heard somewhere that you have to do something 21 days in a row to form a habit, or 21... I forget what the precise anyway, number of days day. was. But... Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's not an actual scientific number, and it was just like you know, roughly if you do it 21 times. Ah, so, so I can I can smoke for 20 days and drop it like that, huh? <laughs> That's how this works. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. Maybe it's just 20 cigarettes. Hmm. Maybe it's 20 puffs. Oh. Maybe it's 20 times thinking about it. Yeah, this sounds like this sounds like bullshitting, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> Best way to start building a habit is, or one of the you know time tested ways is having a morning routine. Hmm. because your brain is fresh in the morning oh is that why well and it's the first thing you do so you don't tend to forget it there's probably a lot of reasons i i'd like to if i need to do something i weave it into a routine i already have going yeah that's uh, i think called stacking habits okay um structure is really helpful for most people to get things done uh so offloading your mental energy and decisions to a system can really help morning is a good trigger point to get started because your brain is fresh but you can make a routine anytime it helps to have a trigger to start your routine. I think uh, CFAR uses trigger actions, which yeah. is like when stimulus perform action. So that's... Uh, I wanted to someday do an entire episode about that. That would be cool. Can yeah. we go into it for another 30 seconds? Yeah. Um, the, the trigger action plans, I believe... God, I think it was on Brienne's Facebook that I saw this. Uh, she just commented that she was trying to become more aware of things in her environment. And so she started just with whenever I see a red roof... I got this little clicker. You know the clickers they have when people go into like a club and mm-hmm. they click it once. Oh, I thought it was like a dog training clicker. Uh, I, th- st- I think she said eventually she just switched to one of those because it worked just as well. But it, it, at first it was like a number clicker. So like at the end of the day, she could see how many red roofs she'd seen. She, whenever she saw a red roof, she would click it once, right? She really started noticing like red roofs all the time because the dopamine release on being like, ah, I made my number increase <laughs> by one was like really fun, you know? And at the end of the day, ha, I saw so many red roofs. Just having that, I want to look for this now and I do a thing, became rewarded in itself. So eventually she dropped the counter clicker and just had like a little dog clicker. You just click it and make a noise. And that was still as fulfilling to like, aha, I see a red roof. I click the thing. And she used that like to form habits instead. Like whenever I do this thing that I want to do, I click the thing once as a reinforcement. And it apparently works because humans are simple little biological machines sometimes. Works for dogs. Yeah, right. Works for dogs. I imagine 
If you gave yourself a Skittle every time you noticed something, that'd be... I think even... Eliezer actually did that. He was having people feed him M&Ms when he did something good. That rings a bell, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I get to give myself half credit for doing a half-baked version of Brienne's thing when I was... I, I used to drive for work all the time, and I'd count blue cars on, this, on, this, on the street and highway. Mm-hmm. And that would be something to keep me engaged with the road. But I, I only would keep counting my head. I imagine if I had a clicker, I'd actually have been more focused, too. And less focused on the road because I'd be reaching for my clicker while driving. So, right. But similar, similar style thing. I'll give myself a, a a weak high five for that one. Huzzah! How did the How did the M and M's thing work out? Do you remember? I don't remember a follow up. I remember. I probably not well. Otherwise, they'd still be doing it. Yeah. But he did his goal. I guess it depends on how how often you got M and M's. Like if you had. 10 M&M's a day, you won't get diabetes. No, I know. But that's what I'm saying. He kicked so much ass with his goal that oh, he got diabetes. R- right. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you got to take that bullet in order to get your thing done. Right. <laughs> An M&M for every line of code he writes on, on the AGI, right? It's a tangent, but I was just talking to one of my friends about how frustrated I am that we still haven't figured out how to make healthy food that tastes like chocolate. Like, right? Well, why is that? I, I, I'm sure there's a very good reason why this is hard, but it just seems like it would be... Well, the reason that it's hard is because calories is what tastes good. Yeah, but why can't we just, you know, they created Splenda. Like, are there more hacks that we can do to just trick, like, your brain into thinking one molecule is the other molecule if it's got a similar structure? I don't know how nutrition works, but... I'm, I'm with you. There might, be a, there might be a good reason, quote-unquote, but not a satisfying reason. Certainly not a reason as satisfying as a Snickers. I think it's probably right? just more of a Moloch reason where there's more money in creating M&Ms that are genuinely bad for you and taste better. Because they're super cheap? Yeah, like... Yeah, but I mean, gummy are Flintstones vitamins taste like candy, right? Mm. Notoriously so. I got kind of a chalky after uh, I guess I've, I've, I've actually had them, but I've, I've heard of people taking too many of them. So um, maybe they're, maybe they're like gross good. candy. Okay. Maybe, maybe if you didn't kid. have any other candy in the house. Yes. Or maybe if it wasn't a full vitamin, right? If you're not getting your full daily load of vitamin from a, from a gummy, but it was 5%, then you could eat 20 of these gummies. The downside, then you're eating 20 gummies a day. So. Right. That's my problem yeah. with like marijuana edibles is that me and marijuana don't get along but like i really just want to eat like the candy that kind of tastes like marijuana (laughs) (laughs) will just a regular gummy or starburst work for you while someone blows smoke in your face (laughs) (laughs) Mm, i think you still get i don't know if you get secondhand marijuana but uh i just i really like the way that they taste though i wish somebody could just like make ones that don't get you high but it just tastes like marijuana. (laughs) can we go okay that's enough of this tangent on that note though i have some cbd oil that tastes kind of like marijuana Oh, really? Because um, I've CBD that I've tried tastes like grass. Yeah, it's it's like, n- not the good kind. Kind of like essence. <laughs> yeah, n- not the devil's grass. Um, <laughs> it tastes like essence of marijuana, maybe, and that's probably because it has essence of marijuana in it. But there might be hope out there for you if you want to spend a lot on I, on I don't experimentation. Really care that much. <laughs> it's just more of a minor frustration. All right, what, what was I talking about? Habit building. Yeah. Oh, stacking habits over time. Yes. So when you're making a new habit, you want to start small and easy. And then build from there. What is this your your usual method for forming a habit? Um, yeah, well, yeah, you just want to start with like the smallest version of the habit, and then like build it over time. So I started. Um, there's a fitness center in my apartment. I finally started using it after being here for like a month. I started by just okay, I'm gonna run on a treadmill for five minutes, and then it's like okay, now ten minutes, now fifteen minutes, and then now I'm gonna also do stretching exercises and lift weights. So. The first like thing was just getting into the fitness room regularly and getting used to it. Yeah. And then you can start to, you know, so I'm stacking other habits with that one. Um, I think I mentioned this before, but I, when I was first starting to work out, I had a fallback plan, which I found was really important because you don't always feel like exercising. So it's really good to have a fallback plan of what you're going to do when you don't feel like exercising. Uh, so like you don't feel like you wasted your time going there. 
Uh, well, I mean, I would just always work out in my bedroom, so I didn't have to go anywhere. Oh, so, okay. So you're still working out. You're just not going to the gym. Is that what it is? No, well, I mean, my fallback plan was really stupid. It, I, okay, the fallback plan, I guess, was genius. What's stupid is that it worked. Uh, <laughs> my initial plan was I get home from work. Before I eat dinner or do anything else, I work out for an hour. Okay. And if I really, really didn't feel like it, my fallback plan was I work out for an hour instead. And, <laughs> and it's ridiculous how often that actually worked. That's pretty funny. Give yourself your second choice of doing the same thing. <laughs> right, yeah. My version of that is doing the bike at the gym instead of the treadmill. Because I, I usually want to put either two miles on the treadmill or five miles on the bike. And the bike is easier. So it's like, how engaged do I want to be? Because I can't play on my phone while I'm running, but I can while I'm sitting on the bike. So today I did the bike and it's still working out, I guess. Yeah. But it's, it's not it's, it's yeah. not as direct as your hack. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still surprised how well it worked. I just I feel like you have higher than average willpower. That definitely wouldn't work for me. I don't know. I think you might. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, I think. I'm not sure what the average is. If you're yeah. comparing to me, definitely. I'm not sure where I'm at on the average scale. But I have you're no like the idea. kind of guy who could take a year off and write a book and like dedicate yourself to working yeah. on it every day. Whereas like I had six months off and I could barely get myself to like get out of the house. Like I couldn't even bring myself to like play video games that I felt like playing. Yeah, like, I need structure. I, it's, I, being unemployed is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, but that's the thing. I had a structure, which really helped. Yeah, but it's a self-imposed structure. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's still a structure. It is, but some Ex people can do that. I would, I would feel grave disappointment for myself no you still feel the grave disappointment it just doesn't motivate you to create a structure yeah we get it we, we still hated ourselves it just didn't motivate us, motivate us to do anything yeah but no i think I, right. I think that's awesome maybe we've been talking pretty long we should wrap this up i just wanted to the last thing i wanted to say was about the mental and physical health that kind of you know uh i think this is probably segues. the most important thing for productivity that i guess people do talk about it a fair bit but it's overlooked sometimes, especially when people talking about like tools and other things. Like the most important thing is to keep yourself healthy. Your tools aren't going to do anything if you, if your if your brain's not engaged with it. Right. So. Which means things like I'm 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 not I haven't looked at your list yet, but I'm betting it includes things like get good nutrition, get all the sleep you need regularly, and work out regularly. Yep, and fix okay. your diet. Yeah, you got it in the wrong order, Inyo. Damn it. Okay. But you listed the, the first I, I three things. I think sleep should come first, actually. The which ones? I think sleep is probably the most important of those. Okay. Because, I... uh, yeah, the whole, you know, sleep deprivation, like being legally drunk, and uh, it just messes with your whole body, messes with your, you know, physical and mental state. And I was joking in that you got all the things on the list, but they were in a different order. So, <laughs> But yeah, right. Sleep sounds important. I guess I found that sleep, at least for me anyway, sleep doesn't work as well if I don't work out regularly. Like, somehow, they're connected. So it's good I, to know. Then that way, maybe it's more motivation to work out. Because you're like, well, if I don't work out, then I won't sleep. Yeah, and then I can't do anything, and then I'm miserable, and then... Well, it also kind of sucks that they're connected for you, because mm. you do have to do one to get the other. What I'm hearing is that my chronic sleep problems are fucking me up hardcore. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's been a problem for years. I don't know what to do about it. I we got a nice new bed and mattress topper, pillows. I'm... I don't know. I'll Somebody figure... on uh, the Less Wrong Facebook had compiled a lot of sleep advice in a Google Doc, which I could share with you. And I could also put, uh, uh, yeah. assuming that person put that out there in the public, so I'll uh, credit them. If you have it, that'd be great. Yeah, I have Do you it. keep your door open? Yes. Okay. I keep it ajar to keep the temperature of the room circulating the rest of the house. We have a fan going. Yeah, there's just... like a million interventions. Yeah, I just <laughs> recently just saw the, the right thing that CO2 buildup in room with doors and windows oh, closed. I, I think be... that actually didn't... Uh, 
like Scott tested that and it wasn't the effects weren't as strong as he was hoping or expecting. Yeah, I remember I saw that as well. But it still seems to make intuitive sense that you should have oxygen. Yeah. I think it's helped me a bit anyway. And also, um, your body temperature is supposed to drop at night, so being too warm can inhibit your sleep, so that might also have to do with it, like air circulation. Interesting, okay. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah, I want to, I want to see all of it because we could I have would, a sleep episode. Man, I I get good sleep like where I wake up feeling awesome less than once a month, oh, probably on the order man. of like once every three months. And those days, those mornings are awesome. And like yeah. I I get by. I'm, I'm productive in the morning. I get stuff done. But I'm kind of just like I wake up and be like, man, I wish I could. I don't know, dude. When I have days like that, I don't do anything. Those That's are the days where, like you said, I can't even motivate myself to play video games. Maybe eating ash has average motivation, and it's just everyone's sleep deprived. <laughs> Although apparently you're pretty sleep deprived too. So yeah, I think we have a serious problem with sleep in our society. Overall. Oh, absolutely. I was sleep deprived my entire school life. I was. Um, yeah. I had like an ex- one of those shifted sleep cycles, and I'm an extreme night person naturally. Well, there's also the problem that teenagers have a naturally later awake cycle, and we all force them to get up at fucking six a.m. to go to school. So they can be out of the way when parents go to work. So. I got like yeah. four hours of sleep, like four to six on average, like throughout all of high school and college. It was really bad. I'm surprised I was at functional at all that I graduated. I think that maybe a large part of the emotional disturbances in teenagehood in our society is just that we force that on people, and, and has and a bad psychological <laughs> effect. Well, and school in general too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if we didn't mention it before, uh, on Slate Star Codex, there's a melatonin article that you should check out if you're having trouble with sleep. That's just like a you know cheap, quick intervention that could help a lot. Mm-hmm. That's, for example, if you're like me and you have a shifted sleep schedule. I think there was a more proper word for it that I'm forgetting. But I'm like an extreme night owl. Taking melatonin seven hours before you want to go to sleep will kind of help bring your sleep cycle back to a normal circadian rhythm so you can go to sleep at a reasonable hour, wake up at a reasonable hour. And take way less than you buy in the bottles at Walgreens. Absolutely. I think 300 micrograms was the recommended dose, which is like what your body produces naturally. And I think you're unlikely to uh, make yourself melatonin intolerant. (laughs) Which, for the record, is about one-tenth of the lowest dose you can buy at most stores. Yeah, a lot of places sell like five milligrams, which is an insane amount of melatonin. That's a hormone, so like you do want to be careful with taking it. Yeah, there there is a, a company on Amazon that makes melatonin in the right amount. And they're super cheap. I bought a bunch when I read oh, those yeah. articles. So. Yeah, they're, they're just as much as you would buy, pay at any pharmacy, which is, you know, cents per pill. If yeah, that. they're quite cheap yeah. and readily available in most like supermarkets and pharmacies. And yeah, melatonin doesn't work for everyone, but that's a, again, you can buy it. It's nice when you can take things in pill form. Yeah. You can't take sleep in pill form yet. You can take modafinil. Interestingly, um, modafinil actually elevates orexin, or that's one of its proposed mechanisms. What is orexin? So, like, melatonin regulates sleep, uh, your circadian rhythm. When you see uh, lots of blue light, it tells you to be awake. When And uh, so you generate orexin, which keeps you awake. Okay. And then uh, when you see lots of red light in the evening, you generate uh, melatonin, which makes you sleepy. So I think uh, it was on Scott's Tumblr. He had, a while before he wrote the melatonin article, theorized that you could completely control your circadian rhythm with uh, modafinil and melatonin. And it seems really useful and, like, something that you know, should be more widely known and used. So if I buy a lamp, I don't know if you guys know the answer to this, but if I were to buy it, I've got a desk lamp at work that I never used because I had it when there was I sat a place that had poor lighting. If I got a blue light bulb for that thing and left that on, would I feel more alert at my desk? Well, not like blue blue, but more like... Like that white blue you... from an LED? Yeah, like the kind of blue that you get from the sky. I think most unnatural lights are blue spectrum lights anyway. Yeah. So the... it's kind of an issue. It's why they have like flux and twilight for devices. Yes. Gotcha. Or like those uh computer... uh. These like ridiculous looking computer glasses. 
Oh yeah, those little Actually, yellow things. Actually, I think things. They, the newer ones look kind of cool. Basically, never look into screens before an hour before bedtime because that really fucks you up. And if you absolutely have to, and even if you don't have to, if you look at in screens at all after the sun goes down, get something like Flux. Yeah, I've had Flux, and iOS comes with all that built onto it now. So cool. Yeah, yeah. things should come with that built in. We yeah. have the ability to. <laughs> That's the thing; it doesn't cost anything. I mean, to... like considering how many children are using devices like all day long, too. Mm-hmm. I think Flux is available on PC, but I know it's available on Mac for free. So there's a similar thing on PC. It is, and it is also free, cool. and it is also called Flux. There you go. Right. What's this about? If you have depression, anxiety, or ADD? That's just uh, saying prioritize working on that. A lot of people get like upset about you know oh well I don't really you know want to waste a lot of time going to a therapist or trying out new medications because it's going to slow me down but uh, I like to just kind of think of it as delegating tasks to future you who's better better able to handle them so see a doctor or therapist if possible if you've got one of those disorders if they are able to improve it at all the productivity boost you get is absolutely worth whatever time you put in yeah and just the happiness boost like (laughs) that too really terrible being depressed or anxious or you know. I found I'm happier when I'm more productive, though. Oh, absolutely. So it's a nice positive feedback loop. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like, I did a thing. I've made the world slash my life better. Yeah, and it gets to be this negative feedback loop if you have anxiety, so you can't focus enough to do your tasks, so you don't do your tasks, <laughs> which gives you more anxiety. Yeah. So fix that. Um, you can get health insurance through Medicaid, if possible, in the United States anyway. You can look for low-cost clinics. They usually have those. And therapists usually have sliding scales, which are based on your income. Uh, So see if you can find a therapist who specializes in cognitive behavioral therapy, which could help you also with, um, if you're trying to be more productive, it's cool because they go hand in hand really well. Or you could even use a workbook or an app. They have those for free. You could get one at the library. You could download one. It's about as effective. Uh, I've been using one called WISA, and uh, I, I recommend it. It's got like this cute cartoon penguin with AI that talks to you. And then it kind of coaches you through different CBT methods, and uh, it has like preloaded a bunch of free uh, meditation exercises and physical exercises, yoga poses. So it's like it's pretty fun. Uh, it's pretty cutesy. So if you're turned off by cute cartoon penguins <laughs> that send you like animated gifts, then maybe that's not for you. If you're turned off by cute cartoon you. penguins, then you are a monster, and you should not be <laughs> listening to our podcast. You should develop one for that person, where it's like. <laughs> Gilbert Gottfried yelling at you like, hey, (laughs) (laughs) hey, asshole. That's probably counterproductive. I would find it really funny, actually. I'm not even going to talk about nootropics because we already had a, you guys had an episode about that already. We've really, yeah, um, dug that into the the ground. So that's it. Let's um, move on to the other stuff because that would, that took too long. Yay. Thank you, Jess. No, that was great. It was, it was was information dense, but I found it valuable. Mm -hmm. We'll have a lot of links to some of these things in the description here um i can't remember what i was gonna say i'm i'm grabbing back for it now and even the straws that i had in a second ago are gone i just i'm now i'm pulling on nothing i wish there was some mind hack that you can use for recovering things you just lost like that there is it's called getting better sleep hmm sounds like sleep's super fucking i mean I, you know everyone knows that but mm-hmm. it's occurring to me that like i don't know my, my lack of my lack of energy and productivity being constantly exhausted i kind of use it like a self-depreciating humor but it is kind of really wearing me out and I need that to be managed. So I don't know what's what I'm dragging my ass on this stuff for. I think. Oh, uh, like sleep is awful. Uh, I hate the fact that you have to turn your brain off. Yeah, I don't. I don't actually. I mean, I don't really mind it. I used to have. I do. I despise sleep. Well, don't well, get me wrong. I despise the fact that I have to sleep. Don't get me wrong. I, I, if I could take a pill that made me not have to sleep, I totally would. But that's not what's causing my bad sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh. 
You're I don't not know. sure what it is, right? I think. Well, no, I don't. Well, I I, I have suspicions. Um, have you like tried bring this up with a doctor? I will. I I'm. <laughs> That's so, usually the first step. That well, I I mean, I have in the past, but I haven't seen a doctor about anything in years. Moving on to our less wrong thing. Yes. Yeah. Woo. Didn't we have a word for it? Sequences. Yeah, but didn't we have like a se- this segment of the show was called something? Not that I recall. I don't recall either, but we should. We should Book have club. something. Yeah, it's not really. But we should have something snappy. But I'm not smart enough to come up with something on the fly. We'll mm. we'll brainstorm this for a while. Edit yeah. it in later. Yeah. <laughs> that can go in post. As a matter of fact, I have a great idea. It is. Here's the blank space for me. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. No. Uh, okay. Uh, so our two less wrong posts for this week were I don't know, and a parable of science and politics. Politics. Yes. We're starting with I don't know. Uh, Which one is this? I don't know. <laughs> Are we going to do who's on first joke? I don't know. Three. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so this post uh, takes the form of a conversation that Elie- Eliezer had with um, an unnamed other individual over the phrase, I don't know, and when it's okay to use, and how it works within the Bayesian rationalist worldview. And, and it was sparked by a post on Overcoming Bias by Robin Hanson, where... To summarize briefly, it's like... Um, you aren't entitled to your opinions. Honestly, I'll let you summarize it, because I, I think this goes directly against... Maybe Hanson's just updated and changed his mind on this in the last, what, 12 years? Mm-hmm. Um, but he said the exact opposite on Sam Harris's podcast when he was here in, what, February last year? That's, that doesn't sound right, time of year. It doesn't matter. Where he, he's, he said that he's moving more towards not volunteering an opinion when, doesn't, when he doesn't have an idea. Yeah. And so let's talk about the post, and I'll talk about my objection, and then you can explain why I'm missing the point. Oh, I I don't know if you're missing the point (laughs) at all. Let's see. Okay. Uh, The primary objection that Eliezer seems to have with people saying, I don't know, is that it's a cop-out, because in the real world, you can say, I don't know, but you still have to make a decision. The first example he gave was that if someone asks themselves, what are the chances of cryonics being successful at some time in the future? their answer very often is something like, I don't know. But regardless of what they know or don't know, they still have to either sign up or not sign up. And by saying, I don't know, that usually defaults to a position of not signing up. So what he's saying that is, in the general parlance, usually I don't know is just a screen that people think is defensible and unarguable before they go on to do whatever they feel like. And it's usually the wrong thing because they refuse to admit themselves what their actual guess is or examine their justifications or even realize that they're guessing. I think I figured out what my discontent here is that, and I gave the example here in the notes, you know, if you asked me, Stephen, what do you think we should do about the refugee crisis in Syria? I, I don't, I don't know. And that doesn't feel like a cop out. I, I don't have enough information on how to, how to satisfy this, on how to satisfactorily respond to this problem. I think the difference between that and something like cryonics or whatever is that I'm not making a decision on what to do about the Syrian refugee crisis, right? Right. Um, um, you know, if someone said, "Hey, Stephen, you need to pick right now what we're going to do with them," then I need to then I need to decide. But if someone just asks me on the street, "Hey, what's what's your thoughts on I don't know, name something random and complicated. Mm-hmm. What do we do? What do we do if if Robert Mueller's fired tomorrow?" protest okay sure but that's not an ant i mean i can go to a protest or not but that's that's not like i don't know right so um, (laughs) yeah and i I think that is a big part of where the split lies because they do also talk about things like 
uh, whether there's how many tree, how many apples are in that tree outside the window, right? And you can't see the tree right now. And Eliezer gives a number. He says, I don't know, between 10. He didn't actually say, I don't know. He says, between 10 and 1,000 as a rough guess. And uh, his interlocutor says, if it was my job on the line, I'd much rather say I don't know than be wrong because who knows what the boss will be do with that information when he loses all that money. And Eliezer says, just to be clear, this is not because I don't know is irrational judgment, but because you want to avoid responsibility. Like your boss is going to go and make a decision anyway. He's just going to do it without your guess as part of his information. Yeah, and I think th- this is more just like kind of an exercise in like pedantry. I don't, I, that might be too critical, but the real question isn't how do you answer a question as simple as how many hairs do you have on your head, right? Because nothing, nothing weighs on that. You know, this isn't like, hey, what do you think? The odds of the surgery working are oh I don't know so you know I'm probably not going to look into it is what is how he is how he's anticipating people using it. Okay. This seems to be intended to be read in the spirit of the improper use of humility. Yeah, right. Because it is a follow-on or like one or two posts yeah. right after that. Yeah, and it's in, it's in the same day's worth of reading. Right, and, and so, he again makes the same the same point that you are not uh, you are not helping someone when you say I don't know rather than to give an estimate. You are, or a range, uh, you are covering your own butt. So you're not doing them a favor. If you really cared about their welfare, you would give them an estimate, such as between 10 and 1,000 apples. Yeah. And, you know, to some extent, that's useless. Yeah. But, like, so a, a more realistic example would be, you know, if, it, if we didn't know it was freezing out, where you and I are leaving this place, and you're like, hey, Stephen, how hot is it outside? Mm-hmm. Wondering whether or not you should grab a jacket. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't have a phone and I wasn't outside, and I can't see outside, you know, my answer, I don't know, doesn't give you information on how to prepare to go outside, right? Right. Me, me telling you, well, somewhere between zero Kelvin and 6,000 degrees Fahrenheit, you know, <laughs> six, uh, whatever, 6,000 degrees uh, Kelvin, Kelvin, that's not a helpful answer. No. But you can usually, I mean, uh, I guess it depends on what your area of expertise is, but you could kind of look out the window. You could, you know, go based on your priors of how cold has it been lately. Oh, welcome to Colorado. Well, yeah, <laughs> you're, you're gonna have those days where you look at like it looks great out. You're gonna step out and be like, oh, it's 45 degrees out. Yeah. So it's but, always really hot in my car, regardless of how cold it is because of the sun. So that's mm-hmm. weird. Yeah, everyone just tells me to layer. Which... And, and don't get me wrong, there, there there are times where you know you can make a good estimate, but I think they were kind of talking past each other in this dialogue in a way that was instructive but not helpful. Because yeah. like X was trying to think of examples of like, look, what do I do if I really don't know and someone wants this answer? And me giving them a vague, pointless answer doesn't help. Right. And I think like your your thing with the the degrees Kelvin uh, between zero and six thousand, right? It is my my main objection to this argument that's being presented is that most people, as far as I can tell, use the term "I don't know" in a shorthand to mean within the normal bounds. Like if someone said how many apples are on the tree, and you answered "I don't know," that's a shorthand for saying between zero and ten thousand, right? If somebody had some inkling that this might be a magic tree with a million apples on it, then they wouldn't say, I don't know. Yeah. If you looked outside and you glanced at it, you would say, holy shit, a fucking ton. Or you'd say, like, basically none. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And that's, and so I don't know is somewhere right in the middle. Yeah. I don't know is like within the bounds of a normal app tree, but with maximum uncertainty therein. Right. I like that. And to qualify my welcome to Colorado to Jess was... You, last time we were on for Productivity 1.0, oh, we talked about how yeah, you moved, you moved, you moved to Colorado. <laughs> yeah. I was all like, 
altitude sick last episode. Oh <laughs> really yeah, jeez. <laughs> but uh, I'm better now. So what I was getting at that, that, that wasn't that wasn't sarcastic. That that was a that was a kind of nudging. Welcome to this. Welcome to the crazy weather we get here sometimes. I actually uh, really like the weather here. Oh good. The one thing I do want to say about the point the post that I thought was interesting is that it's it shows like a divide between strict Bayesian thinking and thinking in the normal world because thinking as a strict Bayesian like as if one was an AI you would never say something like I don't know you would just spit out that maximum uncertainty number right yeah well you have access to it if you're a computer right your brain's still generating the same number which is what I think this he he was going towards it's like a true Bayesian operator would do something like that as opposed to just saying null value as my answer Mm -hmm insufficient data for meaningful answer nice that was one of the comments right oh i think it was but it was also in that asimov short story that i can't remember the name of the last question yeah and so first of all if you have a million years think of a better way to fucking ask that question that really (laughs) bugged me the whole time i was reading that okay he did make an interesting point that if you're dealing there's some people who will think that saying you saying i don't know is a license for them to make up their own ideas which are just as valid like if if you were to if someone were to ask what was the state of existence before the Big Bang, and you say literally I do not know as far as we know right now in science we cannot know there wasn't anything it's just and they say aha therefore God <laughs> I'm like no they're like but you don't know you just said you can't know therefore there's a chance of God and. I don't know if that's legitimate. Like, I, I literally ran into someone doing know, that though. to me a few months ago. No, and people were going to do that anyway. I feel like if you know that shouldn't stop you from saying I don't know. If you don't know, then you call. You know, if they start telling you their grand theory, you yeah. just call them out if they're wrong, or maybe they have information you don't, and then you're like, oh, okay, I hadn't thought of that. Like, <laughs> I don't. You know, that seems like a bad reason to not say I don't know <laughs> because somebody else might have an idea. Someone's a douchebag. Like, well, you know, they're going to have an idea anyway, regardless. Of what you true. say I don't know. Although this post does dive into ignorance priors, yeah. where if you're talking with another rationalist who will know what you mean when you say, I don't know, to mean I've got nothing to update my ignorance priors, mm-hmm. then somebody won't inject their, won't, won't privilege a one, one hypothesis in the pool of all possibilities if you're dialoguing with somebody who gets it, right? Yeah. Um, and he defines ignorance priors for us quickly in this, which is handy, as uh, a prior which distributes probability evenly across all possibilities and assigns only a very small amount of to any individual possibility because there are so many one final thing before we move on actually you guys probably have final things too but one final thing for me before we move on he says in here uh this quote the meaning of the sounds that issue from your lips is whatever occurs in the mind of the listener if they're going to misinterpret something then you shouldn't say to them no matter what the words mean inside your own head which i I eugenics right (laughs) what eugenics right well, yeah, eugenics, but uh, I was surprised to see that because one of the things that annoyed me about Rationalist Harry in HPMOR was that he would think he wasn't lying when he would say things that are technically true, but that he knows will be interpreted in the exact wrong way by his listener. I'm like, you have implanted a falsehood in your listener's brain. It doesn't matter if what you said is maybe technically literally true. You know they're going to misinterpret it. Well, and he was intending to manipulate people, though. He which was, I, I but guess, the, is dark arts. Yeah, yeah, but he was like Although all was proud of himself cause. about like how, aha, I am not breaking any moral laws because I still didn't lie to them, you know. And that, I was like, "You're totally lying, dude." That didn't seem consistent with the rest of his ethics. Well, yeah. it did because he's turning somebody from the, to the light, but his his rationalizing and saying I didn't technically lie 
it doesn't matter if you're technically lied or not. Right. You're, 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 yeah, you're, you're painting someone's map in a way that you know is inaccurate. And I was kind of annoyed by that. And for some reason, even though I know much, much better, it still to me seemed like that was a position Eliezer was endorsing because sometimes I'm stupid too. Uh, and so like seeing him literally say the exact opposite right here, I was like, oh, oh yeah, that was just a character in a book who was shown to be wrong many times in that book. I don't know why I impugned those motives onto Eliezer. I shouldn't have done that. Well, to be fair, Harry's so often a mouthpiece. <laughs> right. So in his defense, at the top of the book, he says, don't, you know, don't trust everything that the, that the main character says as something that I would say. Yeah. And, you know, be distrustful of bad advice or of advice from darker characters um so he's basically saying is like i don't endorse quirrell's politics um, but i think he had to say that there i'm sure he did people that even if you endorse <laughs> quirrell's politics you got to say that it'd be one of quirrell's first rules is don't agree with me even if you agree with me don't agree with me in public yeah um to jump back to my my dumb example of like Stephen, what do you do about the refugee crisis in syria me saying probably don't walk them into a volcano mm-hmm. is that's not helpful right that's like saying it's not zero kelvin out right? it might be helpful to a strictly bayesian ai it'd be like aha i will reduce my walk them into a volcano option by 100 percent now yeah lower down all the things that you're gonna do that will involve killing them yeah. you know so like yeah but if you're talking to like a person right <laughs> so which is so hard <laughs> <laughs> yeah you still don't know what's inside people's brains and how they you know I mean, uh, the, the example of um, saying eugenics when you don't actually mean, you know, uh, eliminating people who, you know, the weak races. Right. Uh, when you're actually trying to say, like, curing people of terrible diseases and making sure that they, you know, have the same or better health than sure. average. But uh, if you use the word eugenics, people are automatically going to assume you're talking about the first thing. Mm-hmm. So maybe just don't use that word. They'll, they'll try to use it for you anyway, though. Yeah. As soon as you're like, I want people to be healthier than normal, they're like, aha, eugenics, you want to kill the Jews. <laughs> I didn't say healthier than the Jews. I meant healthier than all of us. In fact, I want the Jews to be the healthiest first, just so that they were not eugenics. <laughs> and on that note, speaking of, of, of fables of science and politics. Okay, a fable of science and politics. I'll give a real, real brief summary of what this is. Yeah, I just want to point out, this is the first, uh, like, little short story sequence post. There's a handful of these throughout, littered throughout over the next, you know. And they're delightful. They yeah. are. Um, this one, yeah, it's fun. And it's alluded to in Methods of Rationality as well. Not alluded to, it's directly referenced. Dumbledore read this. <laughs> uh, so, in the t- uh, he starts out by telling us that in the time of Roman Empire, civic life was divided between the blue and green factions. The support of a faction became necessary to every candidate for civil or ecclesiastical honors. Uh, there were fights in the streets. People actually murdered each other uh, for being on you know, opposite sides of factions. And these factions were sports fans, the partisans of the blue and green chariot racing teams. So he starts the story by asking us to imagine a future society that flees into a vast underground network of caverns and seals the entrance. People forget what the sky looks like, but they have text saying that it is a cerulean color. But there is a disagreement as to whether this means a blue color or a green color. And their society splits into two factions arguing over what uh, color the sky is. They have the same kind of thing as the ancient Romans did. Eventually, a peace is born of a growing sense of pointlessness. Uh, People think about how many people died, how little changed as a result of these arguments and and violent conflicts. Uh, But there's still a blue and a green position on almost every contemporary issue of political or cultural importance. Things like how you feel about city density and your taxation policy and stuff like that 
can be reliably predicted once someone knows if you're blue or green. Um, and then there are five, six little vignettes of someone who sees a the actual sky and how that affects their personal psychology, what they determine to do now that they know what color the sky actually is. Yeah, these were kind of fun. We don't have to go into all of them, but they're he kind of paints characters of different kinds of like either pragmatism or like esoteric, you know, kind of like religious theodicy or not theodicy, but um, apologetics mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, you know, greenness was always really more of like a, of, of a way of thinking about things than it was about the actual color of the sky. And yeah. <laughs> and one person was like, it was blue all along. I'm going to go out and kill those people. The war's <laughs> back on. What did you guys think about this? I liked uh, it. I thought it was fun. I found it depressing, actually, because I know that there's, you know, issues that if we did find a factual answer on, people would absolutely have those reactions where some people would be like, oh, I need to change the way that I think. I'm going to reject my old way of life. You know, I'm going to probably have to cut ties with lots of my friends and family, but I want to be correct. I want to be correct. I wanted, And then there were the people that were like, I'm going to kill all of them. <laughs> or <laughs> Yeah, I thought the most interesting one was the person who was a green and saw that the sky was blue and was like, now that I know the sky is blue, I have to change all my opinions on taxation and city density. And <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow, those two don't actually correlate, but I can totally see how they would in that person's mind and in that society. Well, and like that, that happens in our society basically now, right? Yeah, I mean, um, there's, you know, nothing that really kind of logically ties together uh, being like pro-abortion, I guess, and like gun control. And, you know, like there's there's things that separate down party lines that don't really like connect together and make sense, but just historically... Yeah, there. It, it seems bizarre to me that if you tell me that you're what do you call it, pro-life, uh, anti-abortion, that I could think of pro-life. <laughs> well, I couldn't, I because it doesn't make sense for me to call it that. But in any case, uh, yeah, you can reliably predict somebody's you know position on uh, like drugs and guns and immigration. Immigration. Why are these tied together? So that I thought that was kind of fun. So yeah, it's super depressing in that how realistic it is. Um, then there was the one that says, "Oh fuck me." This is going to start a war. I'm going to close this off, not tell anyone that we found our way to the service and just ignore this and not yeah, tell how, anybody. How long can I hide this from society? Because that person knew that, that like, the first three stories were going to happen, yeah. which is also depressing because I can kind of sympathize with that character. Yeah. I, this made me think about like me personally. Like, How would I react if I found out that something in my political sphere was provably undeniably true. I, I guess I already feel that way about most of the things, but yeah, like, I've had that happen. <laughs> yeah, but it's it just, pretty awful. Is it like, if you find out that something you thought was true is true. No, something that like, you know, I, I really strongly believed, uh, for example, that men and women were exactly the same. Okay. And like, I would have like, you know, fought to the death over that. Maybe not literally, but like, I definitely Close fought could, people yeah. literally over that. Like I had like fist fights as a kid. Like oh, shit. <laughs> it was like, you know, the, a really core tenant. And then like, but you never got kicked in the balls in those fist fights. Thus invalidating your point. Sorry. <laughs> Getting kicked in the vagina hurts a lot, actually. No, I know. It's but, probably not as bad. But no, but I meant specifically, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I was being pedantic and pointing out that there are, that there are expressed phenotypic differences yeah. because you don't have balls to kick. I um, meant like, uh, yeah. you know, Oh, exactly I, the same in terms of personality types and I, preferences. I know, and, I was you being know, an that, asshole. That, um, <laughs> that it's all... Stephen just was just proving that men, all men are assholes. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, actually, that was the example I was going to raise as like a hypothetical. So like if this was proven beyond a shadow of a doubt and everyone just had to ex either accept it or deny it, um, then... Well, it's been pretty proven that they're, you know, <laughs> yeah. that, that there's different personality types, there's different preferences, and uh, it's, and, you know, along a spectrum. 
but, but they correlate strongly with with people aren't just blank slates yeah and and uh that strikes me as a good real world example i wonder if there's another one uh man maybe even more offensive like racial differences yeah that's too offensive <laughs> but no no i'm, I'm not so that's... that that one if there if there's anything it's i'm sure it's in the air so but if it if it turned out that for whatever reason white people were just more inclined to be serial killers <laughs> and that the numbers up to the state weren't you know a fluke or just other factors it was like no it turns out just like if you have white skin you're more inclined to be a serial killer um that'd be a hard pill for a lot of people to swallow and or joyful pill for other people to swallow right it'll, it'll be really uh, hard if it was something that you know was less cool than that example totally what if it turns out that asians are both morally and intellectually superior to all other races <laughs> wonder yeah. what would happen if that were true right so i like these all these little short story parable style posts because they're all like that mm. they're they're all carefully distant in a way that everyone can be like oh that's kind of interesting and, and look at it objectively but then you start pu- you start taking away the blue and green sky with something you actually care about and you're like oh now i can actually feel the emotions of these characters and that's pretty intense maybe it's just worth going over all of them really quick so they, they all have names um so basically what they're like on an expedition and then they see uh, a hole into t- to the surface well one of them gets split up from the group right. so the rest of them don't see it and so one person and then it does kind of like a choose your own adventure of which person made it out mm-hmm. and then Atidia, I have no idea if people pick names. I, I can't even do it for characters in video games. Like, I spend a long time, like, over... It doesn't matter. Like, more time, cu- like, thinking of a name than customizing what they look like. Yeah, yeah, I love picking names. I hate it. I can never think of one. I have stock names. I always go with it with. Smart. So I don't have to spend two hours doing that. But it's something I'm going to have to live with for the rest of the time in the game. It's, <laughs> it's a big deal. Anyway. Choose I, one that you know you always like. There's a random name generator. There's never one that I'll always like because it's, it's different games. It doesn't matter. Okay. It's, it's my own stupid hang-up. I'll get over it. Yeah, search for fantasy, uh, or I guess it doesn't have to be fantasy, but random name generators. The I've behind used, the name one is very good. I've used those. I'll, I'll try What was it called? Behind the name? Behind the name because you can. Uh, it gives you like a very uh, comprehensive list of ethnicities, like uh, cultures that you could pull names from, like everything from like modern day Hellenic to ancient Greek. Okay. And then they have some like names from fantasy uh, worlds and names that are goth and names that are, you know, <laughs> that cyber sounds, or whatever. That sounds helpful. Cool. I hope that And I... you can pick a surname too or just first name and whether it's like typically male or female or ones that could be either. So that's all pretty cool. Dope. All right. I'll have to give that a shot. All <laughs> right. Atidia the Blue. I don't want to read the whole thing, so I'm just yeah. trying to paraphrase. She's the one that decides to kill. She's the one who says, you were right all along. This guy whispered down at her, and now you can prove it. <laughs> and uh, she curled a hand to a clenched fist, turned around, and said, the truce is over. Yeah. Uh, Baron the Green stared incomprehensibly, incomprehensibly at the chaos of the colors for long seconds. And then a pile driver to the pit of the stomach. These are worth reading in real. This is this should be on uh, one of your uh, if you ever do more oh, like yeah. sequence readings. Okay. Um, oh yeah, it would be cool to do readings of all of the little stories and the sequences. Cool. So I, if you want more work, <laughs> you know what? Bonus for our Patreon listeners. Ooh, that sounds fun. Yeah, I'll read this whole thing out for our Patreon listeners. I'll help cool. if you want. That sounds good. Excellent. If you need, if you need any, uh, if you need anyone to hold you back and bring down the project you can call me i'd be happy to help (laughs) (laughs) that sounds fun um yeah you probably don't want to commit to a time to do that this isn't that long actually well i mean before this episode goes up yeah no that's why i was thinking yeah that's not too long i could do that cool that'd be awesome but you still want to like summarize each of the people real quick yeah i'll I'll summarize then but yeah it's a fun little fun little list it'll be it's a fun read and it'll be a great little listen so baron the green is terrified by what they see and uh (laughs) And then he does like a mind Jedi trick, right? 
I, I'm just giving it, but looks at the sky, looks at the sky, and says, "How can you be on their side?" <laughs> and uh, and then Charles the Blue, yeah, he's he's the apologetics. Oh, that person. was the one. Um, professor of a mixed college, mixed college. So they're the one who um, who decides to hide it, right? Yeah, I'm trying. I was Were they the one that hi- I, th- I thought that was the one that tried to think, say, well, you know, it wasn't really that important. It was just more of a way of thinking. So like, green is still kind of right. Oh, okay. This was merely a natural phenomenon having nothing to do with philosophy or society. Oh, uh, but he's one that the... still might be misinterpreted. So he, yeah, Tamari Hood come back and block the passageway. <laughs> yeah, Daria the Green. She's the uh, one who decides to change over to a blue, along with taking all their positions yeah. on everything and like ditching all her family members and friends. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. She, like she, being this heavy sacrifice. She, she's bummed and says, "I guess I, I have to go. You know, change all these other things." Edin the Green. It's the one I kind of sympathized with. He uh, was the one who said that the, the whole war was stupid and pointless, and now I'm going to have to hide this from the world to make sure that the world doesn't tear itself apart over the realization. Yeah, and leaned against the cave mouth wearily, trying to think of a way to prevent this information from blowing up the world and wondering if they didn't all deserve it. Mm. And then Ferris is the, the, the right answer. Notice no color on Ferris's description here. Yeah. Maybe they were unaffiliated or they... They didn't hold it that way, right? Mm-hmm. Ferris gasped involuntarily, frozen by the sheer wonder and delight. Ferris's eyes darted hungrily about, fastening on each sight in turn before moving reluctantly to the next. The blue sky, the white clouds, the vast unknown outside, full of places and things and people that no undergrounder had ever seen. Oh, so that's what color it is, Ferris said, and went exploring. And that's the appropriate scientific approach to coming across challenging new facts. Yeah, I I don't know about that though because because the society is still going to implode. Well, if you did discover that white people are more likely to be serial killers, then <laughs> you're not going like, to oh, yeah, <laughs> go happily explore that. Go happily, you know. Uh, that might be the kind of fact that you. I mean, you do you know, want to explore it though. I guess yeah, in the sense that like maybe it turns out that because white people eat more of whatever food, and if we cut that food out of their diets, they'll be less likely to be serial killers. Now yeah, this this, that... this is a deliberately stretched example, but yeah, I was gonna suggest that this might be the kind of thing you just don't publish and hide from the world. But you're right; the only way to do something about it, if there's anything to be done, is to learn more about it. I, I felt like that was the viewpoint that was missing here. The person that I mean, because he picked the example of a sky color, it's not like you have to go change the sky color. That's just a fact that doesn't really matter. But uh, except, you know, to the extent that it changes other people's uh, opinions on other things. But something like uh, figuring out that, like, oh, that these people are less intelligent. It's like, oh, we could just hide that because it's kind of offensive. Or we could figure out how to genetically engineer people to all be the same level of intelligence or more. Like, you know, you can't fix a problem by pretending it doesn't exist. So yeah. That's what really bothers me about it, uh, about, like, the mindset of people that want to just, like, be willfully ignorant. <laughs> Like yeah. it, you know, the truth is true. That's... And I, I think the the point that the intellectual dark web people that uh term that Stephen hates because it's masturbatory, but one of the, one of the terms, one of the things that they say is that when all the good people refuse to talk about this and just hide it, and the only people that are willing to talk about it are the bad people that use this as an excuse for racism and hatred and other things, then if someone comes across a fact that is inconvenient and has been hidden for so long the only people that are talking about this fact are those evil people and they'll be like the evil people must be right because if the facts are on their side they must be right so discussing certain facts and the interpretation of them that is not evil is also very important so that you don't let 
the evil people dominate the conversation and have the weight of being correct on their side. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I admire aspects of the project, like that motivation. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not convinced that every player in this game is is doing it for those ambitions. Right. Um, but it's... It's a compelling argument, yeah. at least. No, it, well, and it's a valuable one, too. You're right. I, I, I think about this. Um, I had this... I don't think I could dig it up. In fact, they were taken down because they were copyright infringements. I maybe ah. maybe I can find them. They were these ten minutes cuts from Carl Sagan's audiobooks, usually put to music or something with you know cool uh, strategic breaks in the conversation and stuff. And one of them was talking about dragging the elderly Galileo through the torture chamber underneath the church, showing him all the cool things we can do to you if you don't shut the fuck up. He, just, he paints this picture of walking this elderly man through the torture chamber. And he's saying, why would the church do this? If they're right, they don't need to. Can truth not defend itself from truth? Mm -hmm. In that line, if I were to ever get something you know, tattooed on me, it might be something like, if That's I were to get a quote one. tattooed on me, it might be that. That if you're hiding facts or you're lying, you're, you're on the wrong side. Mm -hmm. If you're right, the truth is on your side. And uh, you know, some truths can be pretty ugly. That and that and that sucks. So it's worth be, like handling them with care, but it, I don't you know, yeah. agree that you should cover it up either. Yeah, handle with care is different. Cause more, yeah. cause more harm that way. The the example of like the nuclear bomb might be a strategically released truth. The the prospects of good from that are too good to not you know to try and kill everyone who, who might independently discover nuclear nuclear energy. But yeah, certainly you don't just publish it on Wikipedia or something, right? <laughs> So relating back to like why that perspective doesn't exist in this is because it was chosen to be a, a physical fact of nature that was super easy to observe. And there was like no discussion once people saw it. Right. And it was one that, um, ah, it's slipping away. What was your, your discontent that there wasn't a position that. Well, covered... it was because that it's not an ugly truth knowing whether the sky is green or blue. Oh, right. Well, except for it is for some of them, but it's not for us. Yeah. Right. Like that the actual fact of the sky being blue or green isn't going to hurt anyone. Except, like, only to the extent that other people's, you know, other beliefs are tied to it. Yeah. And I think it was a carefully distant example for that reason. You know, yeah. if if he had used the example of racial intelligence or something, people would have branded him as, you know, a, a eugenicist or supremacist or something, right? So, um, yeah. Anyway, these ones are fun. The parable <laughs> ones. <laughs> Man, know. we got heavy. <laughs> Well, yeah, no, I've, I've actually, like, my response to these was that these were pretty depressing. I think they're cool and important, but, like, they're when depressing. I say the stories are delightful, I don't mean that they're all, like, really positive and happy. Yeah, <laughs> and these are depressing specifically because of what they point out about human society. Yeah, and not even just society, but our, our minds. Yeah. And it sucks that we're built this way. And, yeah, it is, it's not a happy note. And, you know, Ferris's thing is more of, like, a relief and you're you're more just glad that you read that one last, mm -hmm. not not because this is the way it turned out. You know, it could have gone any of the other ways. But because his is the most joyous. Yeah, kind of a historical rationalist point. Uh, I think when these sequences were written, they tried to make a norm that people use the words blue and green to talk about politics. Yeah. As opposed to bringing up real world examples. Yeah. Eliezer would say politics is the mind killer. I think he was the one that um, kind of popularized that. Yes, that is the name of one of his posts that's coming up pretty soon. Yeah, so, and then after kind of there was the rationalist diaspora away from less wrong, people stopped using that norm. Yeah. And the world didn't explode, but there, uh, there's probably more political conflict than there was. There's less, yeah, there's slightly less joy and slightly more acrimony. I, f I find it to be pretty good, though, for example, on Slate Star Codex. Like, it's so much nicer reading the comment section than anywhere else on the internet. 
the weakness of Chinese blues and greens to discuss like today's politics is that the second you name a political, a belief, you know, again, why is your position on global warming a political belief? And yet it is right. So <laughs> if, if you told me, Oh yeah, Stephen, I accept the science behind global warming. I can pretty much guess who you voted for. And well, I, now I think the strength of using blue and green instead of anything that's done in the real world is because these sequences aren't about trying to do any sort of actual debugging of the world. It's about just looking into the mechanisms of the brain and how to correct for those and fix those without getting wrapped up in all the other crap. It's like before you worry about who to punch, first figure out how to form a fist and swing it correctly. Afterwards, you can decide whether you want to punch Nazis or SJWs or whatever. This course is just about how to train your body. And for that, you have to distance yourself from those things that'll hijack the conversation. So I think it was a very good idea for Less Wrong. I, yeah, I like it there. I guess I meant as far as discussing um, real world stuff. But as you, no. as you correctly pointed out, that's not the point. Yeah. The point is, is get your mind in shape so that you're prepared to actually tackle problems. And you're not going to do that by breaking your hand against a test and as, as I butcher this analogy by carrying it too far by but by breaking your hand against a test dummy when you weren't ready so don't try and attack politics first if you have to talk about politics use a vague use a different thing right so yeah, yeah or even just don't derail your discussion that's not about uh, the libertarian party do you think we derailed the thing by going into actual real world stuff absolutely should I edit it out oh you mean did we do that yeah just now should I edit it out no I thought no. that was valuable Okay. It was only for a minute. Like we talked about how beliefs are that, that relates yeah, to. Yeah, I just I f- now I feel like I tainted the post by letting real world stuff get into it. Real world's happening. This I is, know. Well, it also the, brought up the norm. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I brought up you know what are we gonna as far as I don't know what are we gonna do if uh, Mueller gets fired tomorrow? Right. Today's Wednesday, the seventh. This is the day that Sessions was fired and uh, replaced with a crony as a as opposed to the the standing uh, deputy attorney general, which is what usually happens mm-hmm. but when is usual ever the case here so there's a good chance that things will be really weird when this comes out in two weeks anyway so the real world's already here guys let's get <laughs> let's go be bummed nope fuck that i don't know <laughs> i am all done talking about this post but uh guys probably have something else no that was it for me do you want to plug your book release again just so oh. nobody misses it yeah this comes out in two weeks yeah. So at this point, when this comes out, the first two chapters should already be up online at whatliesdreaming.com of my novel that I have written and that I'm publishing every week on Sunday. One more chapter. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Check it out. For our next episode, we are going to be reading the Less Wrong Sequence posts, Some Claims Are Just Too Extraordinary, and Outside the Laboratory. And there will be links to both of those. And once again, we didn't get around to listen to feedback, but we enjoy it. So please don't hesitate to write us at thebeijingconspiracy.com on any of the comments sections. You can write us at beijingconspiracypodcast at gmail.com, r slash thebeijingconspiracy on Reddit, or leave us a review on iTunes. And uh, that's what we got. All those things help. Uh, would you like to thank the patron this week? Yeah, sure. Our patron this week is Sebastian Moore. Thank you very much for uh, everything. It means a lot. Thanks, Sebastian. You make this thing feel more warm and cozy when we do it. Everyone hears, I think, how I flounder every time that this part comes up. <laughs> it's, right. it's, yeah, same, same sentiments all the time. It's great. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. Thanks, Sebastian. And with that, we'll be back in a couple weeks. All right. Peace out, everyone. Bye-bye. Later. Later.